Welcome everyone to the Road to King of the Ring 1993. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot today on the show. Miz Fan has picked out an, another awesome card. We got title changes. We got people from the past coming back. We got uh, brawls. We got the end of Rob Bartlett. Uh, so so many things to talk about. But today, I find myself thinking about the King of the Ring as a show in general. And maybe this is better for next week's episode. I don't know, but it's on my mind right now. I wonder, can the, how successful can an event like the King of the Ring be when the person who wins it does not get a world title shot? We talked about this with the Royal Rumble. The first three years, the Royal Rumble is just an event. It's a battle royal, a glorified battle royal. And then the next day, it's over and the fame is gone. This is kind of where King of the Ring starts, even though 1994's winner will get a shot at SummerSlam, 1995's winner will get a shot at SummerSlam. So the two questions that I have, number one, is how successful can that event be? Maybe Survivor Series is the other side of that, where it's a gimmick pay-per-view that never leads to a title shot, but it goes on and on for years and years and years. And also, could, can a babyface who wins King of the Ring be proud of their King of the Ring? I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of these that we're going to see three or four years out. But every time a heel puts on a crown and a robe and changes their gimmick, that's a heel move. Could a babyface win the King of the Ring and start walking around in a robe? I don't know. So this is an interesting event. It also has implications because we are leaving that big four structure that made the golden era. And at this point in WWF, it feels like I don't even remember that golden era, except the fact that Skeleton Hulk Hogan is still hanging around and is somehow the world champion. We also could say one more thing about Kings. It was Vince McMahon who pitched Harley Race. Like, what is better than a world champion, a mid-card king of the ring? Though he didn't say mid-card, but you get the point. So we got a Bret Hart who is going to be, his fans are going to lift him up for the work that he does at King of the Ring while he is going to be pissed off at being in King of the Ring. So we got this new event, we got this tournament, we got this whole idea that we will get into next week, a little bit this week, but we will talk about the road to King of the Ring. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the Mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Mizvan, the Brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. We are indeed on the road to King of the Ring 1993. We are in April and May of that year, and we're going to see some interesting things going on. Skeleton Hulk Hogan is indeed the champion, and he will not appear on this because he did not appear on any show except in uh, uh, terrible clips of him on the beach with Brutus Beefcake and Jimmy Hart talking about how Yokozuna is a stink man or whatever horrible things he might have said. So we are going to be looking at many other things in the company. We're going to be looking at tag teams, intercontinental titles, women brawling around on Raw. We're going to see a lot of interesting stuff today. And yes, we are coming up to King of the Ring, that tournament where if you're a babyface and you win it, you probably shouldn't mention it because uh, you probably weren't supposed to. It's really a heel thing to be a king, as we will find out tonight as well. So lots of fun stuff coming up. Mystic, I am ready. Let's get into the show. Absolutely. So we got this event. This is also the event, Ms. Van, that's going to open us up to 12 pay-per-views in a year, too. Maybe sometimes <laughs> more than one in a month. So, you know, it's that old slippery slope um, argument. But my God, the King of the Ring is going to be the beginning of something else. It's going to lead us to In Your House. It's going to lead us into ways, I think, that the structure changes in order to 
let us see that we're in another era if the talent roster doesn't already. Indeed. I don't know what we're going to do when we get there. Uh, I've had fun in, uh, covering a little bit of the TV, but uh, things are going to get very crowded on the pay-per-view docket very soon. Yeah, so we got a lot coming. We'll get into the action. We'll talk about King of the Ring maybe more in the show and more next week. But we covered the entire episode of Raw from April 5th, 1993. This is the day after WrestleMania 9. Vince McMahon and Randy Savage are on the call. Rob Bartlett has been left in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's probably the smartest thing they could have done with him. Uh, so we'll all be grateful for that. Vince McMahon is just looking at Savage and making weird faces the whole intro. I have no comments on it. It's just Vince McMahon, when he wants to be weird, is just weird. <laughs> I find funny that this, uh, I think, was taped before WrestleMania, yet Vince McMahon will never stop saying all night long that, oh, we've just had the greatest WrestleMania ever. So either he was just in hype mode or uh, he sincerely thought what he had pulled off was going to be, like, a rousing success. <laughs> Yeah, the whole show is a, is a, is a, um is an ad is a pitch to buy the uh WrestleMania the second offering of WrestleMania. Even back then as a kid, I didn't understand like okay, so the show's already happened and you told me the results. Like why am I going if I didn't buy it the first time, why am I going to buy it the second time? <laughs> oh, according to Vince, well, if you didn't see it, you must see it. And if you did see it, it's worth seeing again. And uh <laughs> I mean, uh, I enjoyed Caesar's Palace as much as anybody, but uh, I don't need to see Hogan and Beefcake fight Money Inc. again, for God's sake. We also had things called VCRs, and I promise you <laughs> that if my parents let me order a pay-per-view and I did not tape it and then I asked to get it a second time, it would have been trouble. <laughs> so uh, Illegal admissions, but yes. Oh, God, I loved VCRs. Man, I taped everything. Such a good time. Yeah, I've been saying, man, just order it a second time. All right, buddy, that's what we'll do. <laughs> it's hopeful. He's got to get every sale he can get at this time, I think. I would think, yeah. The company's not doing as good as they used to. I wonder we why. We got Bam Bam. I'll oh, go ahead. I, just, I wonder why they're not doing as good as they used to, Vince. All right. Yeah. All I, I had a thought, and uh, maybe it's wrong. Like I, I can't remember the Golden Era anymore. Like, I... Um, <laughs> Benjamin Button texted me and asked me, did we cover Heel Don Morocco in the Legacy Series? And I have no idea if we did or not, because I don't remember anything before 1992. <laughs> uh, I believe we did, uh, though not as much as I would have liked. Okay. But yeah, no, we feel so far away from that. I had moments on the show where I thought, they have just as good a card or a roster of talent as they've ever had, but it's like intentionally they want the product to be worse than what it used to be. Are you talking about... 1993 or 2021? I'm genuinely confused. So. <laughs> no, even right now they got a good roster of talent if they wanted to use it. Uh, that's what I'm saying. There's something very WWF, WWE about that yeah. comment. Yeah, I thought about that. Like, I, part, like is it, this is the question that I asked was, because like, we're told that uh, wrestling comes in waves and cycles and it does well, then it doesn't do well. It's like they don't want the, the cycle to happen to them organically, so they just create it themselves. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I'm very skeptical of that idea. I don't think it holds up well, except uh, under maybe that WWE lens, because, yes, they themselves have gone in cycles. So, of course, <laughs> if it happened to WWE, oh, it's just the law of the land for wrestling, I guess. So, I don't know. Absolutely. Uh, we kick off Raw's Virgil and Bam Bam Bigelow. So Bam Bam getting a lot of play here in 1993. 
he is, yeah, for better or worse. He'll have some good stuff. I don't know about this match. Um, They spent a lot of time talking about other stuff. They say, oh, what's Hogan and Yokozuna? A sanctioned match. That's a big talking point. Oh, Lex Luger, he he knocked out Bret Hart. They're talking about that. It's so controversial. So um, they're talking about that. They're talking about Bartlett. They're talking about two doinks at WrestleMania. All this, and uh, there's a match going on, but it's okay. You don't really have to watch it. Yeah, there are different eras of how they unfold a pay-per-view. Like, later, we'll get still images, you know, at the beginning of the show. But here, it's just use the Virgil Bam Bam match to recap the entire WrestleMania. <laughs> Pretty much. And you might as well, because he's just doing a bear hug. It's taking a long time, so why not? Yeah. It's a little back and forth, but if you're paying attention to the Legacy Series, you know how this is going to end in 93. It's going to be a headbutt off the top rope, and Bam Bam is going to get the victory. Indeed. Uh, we're going on, and um, oh boy, it's supposed to be Jerry Lawler's uh, in-ring debut in the company, and uh, they're going to... I don't know if you like this or not. It's certainly a thread going through the night where Jerry Lawler will come out, he will dislike how he is treated by the crowd, the crowd will call him a Burger King, and he will leave in disgust. Yeah, this is... Uh... I'm not completely against the, the, the thing that's happening. I'm against the source of what's causing it to happen. You know, <laughs> never will I, never will my favorite wrestling company or favorite era be one where any wrestler, even the heel, even our chicken shit heels are driven away by a Burger King chant. <laughs> I don't believe it. Cheesy about it. Yeah. I don't know. But I think this is the best thing to do with Jerry Lawler because I think, number one, Vince already is going to hate this guy a little bit because he's known as a successful wrestler. Like, you know, there's a comment somewhere like, oh, he's supposed to be uh, blah, 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 because like it didn't happen in <laughs> WWF. So at this time, if he's going to wrestle, I think you've got to make him like this. I, I found it interesting that uh, he says, I am the king of wrestling and I um, and used to being treated respect. Kiss my feet. You're not going to I'm not going to wrestle if you chant. So. We're already building up the king, which is going to be the program that's going to happen at the end of the pay-per-view. But then mentioning Kiss My Feet, I don't know if that's just his regular thing, but he will end up in a Kiss My Feet match. So a lot of uh, Jerry Lawler's future being forecasted here. Yeah, I think a lot of Kiss My Feet coming up in the next uh, couple years. So I don't give any credit for foreshadowing here. I think Jerry Lawler just really likes to repeat things which we will find out on commentary as well so there you go i think the one thing i will give it i didn't know he was going to walk away you know eventually you get used to the pattern that's happening but like, like oh he's gone that's yeah okay <laughs> interesting it's so uncut he, uncooked and uncensored yeah, it is, and nothing it, should be called uncensored it's just always a, a bad idea <laughs> there's a later on and i think towards the end of this show not this episode but our entire uh group of tapings Bobby Heenan is trying to talk about how anything can happen, and he names, like, one thing. You can tell he's about to do a list, but then he just stops after the one the one thing. <laughs> so, Oh, well. Uh, little does he know, he'll see more uncensored things in a few years. So, Yeah. And more tacky uh, WWF 93, Gene Oakland is talking to a pissed-off Yoko and Fuji, and it's at the WrestleMania 9 set. So, I thought you'd be thrilled to see that set again. I, I appreciated it. <laughs> I just feel like it happened before he even lost to Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Probably did, to be honest. Um, what bothered me here is that uh, 
Fuji and Yokozuna, they don't even speak a word, yeah. I think, in the whole thing. Just Gene Okerlund, like, rattles off a thing, and they stand there looking mad. Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a Bret Hart world champion uh, promo for how Gene Okerlund went in. <laughs> what a oh mess. Oh, my gosh. When are they going to I feel have like Hogan is not really in the company. When, as you said, he's kind of not. But I also feel like Gene Oakland's not really in the company. Like, he's always, he's never on Raw. He's like, don't even hearing the words Raw mentioned on the WrestleMania Nine set, like or the the um, other set that he's in. Just, just it's like he's already left the company, but he's also still there. <laughs> it's funny how Raw feels so apart from the rest of the company. I definitely remember feeling that when I was watching through this stuff. I don't dislike it. I'm going to come off the whole time sounding like I do. It's not that I like it or dislike it. It's just that I know they could do a lot better. Right, yeah. They will do better in the future of integrating Raw into uh, what's going on in the company. So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. When okay, are they going to so have a yeah. champion again who is, like, a good promo? Man. Okay, <laughs> so Yoko's going to get it back. Yeah, he doesn't talk. Bret Hart hopefully will be better. Bret and Owen, sometimes I can like them. Sometimes they can be cringe when they're kind of doing their thing on the mic. Um, Diesel. Diesel's going to have some great one-liners for us. <laughs> I detect some sarcasm in that statement. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't like Sean. I never liked Sean as a, a promo in the 90s. It, uh, to me, he was just always – it's just going to get more and more. God, so, yeah, for me, it's going to be Austin. To Austin. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, like a promo company. That's shocking. It'll be Brett before Austin because when Brett is a heel, right. Brett will actually finally become a great promo. Fair enough. Still, that's far away. Yeah. It might be, though. I might be off, but, you know, I think it's about that far. Man, from Ric Flair all the way out to them. Wow. Well, Flair sucked. We had to get him off TV, so. <laughs> <laughs> so old, he couldn't even speak. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so this is Raw again. We're back in the ring. It's going to be Bob Backlund taking on Kim Chi. It's so weird that Kimchi was just like, you know, this guy's supposed to be a manager for like weird oddities. They can't like conduct themselves, but now, now he's a wrestler. He's gonna fight Bob Backlund, and I mean, uh, it's not gonna go well for him. So, what do you expect? The announcers continue to talk about anything else. Rob Bartlett has no money. He lost it all in Las Vegas. Randy Savage says Motel Six can't take Bartlett in a trade because he's not worth anything. <laughs> For as much as they uh, crap all over Bartlett, you know, you, you'd be surprised to be like, oh, they really want to keep him. And, like, I don't know. The tone of it is just weird because Bartlett can't really respond in kind or anything because he doesn't know, like, the tone of what's going on. Absolutely. I'm still enjoying Bob Backlund. I think I think his entire run is going to be good. So, you know. I thought, yeah, I mean, uh, of all the squash matches we watched, this was definitely one of my favorite because he's so slick. He's, like, very strong. He's fun to watch in the ring. I guess these things are just not, like, wanted by the fans at this time or something. Or, I don't know. It's just a presentation of, like, oh, wow, he's 42. He walked right out of the old folks' home to be a wrestler. Incredible. But, um, yeah, I, I like this match, you know, for, for a squash match. It was quite fun. It's mind-blowing, again, from our angle where we have wrestlers now wrestling into their 60s sure. and sometimes doing a good job, as we saw uh, recently. And yeah. we, got, oh, we got old Bob Backlund, who's in his, not only in his early 40s, but he was world champion 10 years ago or so. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a different world. And, uh, 
you know, there there are good things about trying to move on to the new generation, but yeah, like, he was not done, and fortunately, eventually, we'll take advantage of that fact, but right now, the presentation of him is just very strange. He's going to get some good stuff out of Bret Hart. To me, yeah. the only crime that's going to be committed is, is jobbing him out to Diesel at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, he, he could have had a longer reign with his gimmick and everything he was doing, and then we would have avoided some Diesel, so that would have been nice, too. Yeah. So Backlund getting another victory. Uh, we got Rob Bartlett on the phone. Uh, he He's trying to get back, and then he asks Vincent Man for money, and all of a sudden they don't have a good connection anymore. <laughs> That's maybe the first Bartlett thing I kind of laughed at, so I'll give credit, I guess, even though it was more Vince. Yeah. Uh, then, my God, we're back to the ring, and it's Jim Brunzel versus Damian Demento. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. I... I, I couldn't tell you, looking at this, who they were meaning to push. Um, I guess Demento, but the fans chant boring at Demento, and they are correct. Um, it's nice to see Jim Brunzel again. I always liked him, but he doesn't get to do a whole lot here. Yeah, we got a lot of our 80s tag wrestlers are the enhancement talent on 93 Raw. <laughs> so it seems. I didn't I noticed that uh, Damien Demento can speak to the same uh, voices that the Ultimate Warrior used to talk to him. Huh. That's nice. I feel like there's a lot of. Was it this week or last week? We got two. Do we have two Luna Brawls on this? On this show, yeah. We, we have two Luna Brawls on this show. Okay, I'll save it then. All right. All right so, uh, we got a Macho Man Slim Jim commercial. We got Jerry Lawler, who pretty much uh, does the exact same thing a second time, and he is still not going to wrestle. So, on to the next match. We got the Beverly Brothers versus the Steiners. Yeah, now here's a fun match uh, for me on TV at this time, because I love this at the Rumble. I don't think they did quite as much here, which you kind of expect on TV. But, man, I really like these teams together. Uh, The Steiners, the way they muscle around these big guys is really impressive, and you've got to give credit to the Beverly Brothers, who bump around so well. They do their own stuff. Uh, Just a very fun TV match here, I think. Yeah, we get a big slam by Blake. So when you're trading slams with the Steiner brothers, you're doing all right. Yeah, yeah, you must be doing something okay. And uh, we can cover this too much, but I did like, I think on the next show, Money Inc. like comes to them, to the Beverly Brothers, and like pays them to tell them about like the secrets of the Steiners. I don't think it works out well, but I like that kind of, um, you know, week-to-week storytelling. So I'm going to give credit to that. Yeah, I love the segment. I felt, I felt like it was... Somebody with too much money, because I feel like, for what, for what they told them, you could have just watched the match yourself. <laughs> well, Ted DiBiase, not known for his great choices in 93, so, you know, here we are. Yeah, I love that interaction, though, but it is the Steiner Brothers going to get the victory, because, my God, they're on a roll. They're headed towards Money Incorporated. But like you said, did the Beverly Brothers really lose because they took a payoff just to kind of scout and report to Money Incorporated? <laughs> oh, man. I'll hold up again the Steiners as, I think, maybe the most entertaining in-ring act in the company. I don't know if anybody is really uh, on their level in 93, so you could say that they were better in 91 or something, but I don't know. I think, overall, they're having a great run here. I am not completely against Scott taking the belt from Brett at WrestleMania 9. 
And there was a time in my life that that would have just been a joke if someone had told that to me. Right, yeah. I mean, he's been very impressive. You know, there would have been drawbacks as well, but there are drawbacks with every champion at this time that they're pitching. So Yeah. Uh, Todd Pettingale, uh, he's pushing Mania, which is his show before. He will also uh, join us for In Your House, as we said, sooner or later. And then uh, I think we have the actual match. Yeah, so we got Jerry Lawler coming out again. And once again, he is going to do the same thing. He's on the outside of the ring. He is going to make his excuses and walk away. But here comes Jim Powers, who apparently was meant to be his opponent the whole time. Powers attacks him on the floor, and the match gets started from the outside. Paul Roma's off being a horseman. Here's Jim Powers fighting with uh, Jerry Lawler. So, a tale of young stallions, if you will. Yeah. It's a tough night for 80s uh, talent. <laughs> yeah, another one. Good point. Good point. Um, Lawler is a weird one. What is your opinion of Lawler in general? Yeah, I am. I, Sorry okay. to hit you with a hard question out of the blue there. <laughs> no, I think, I think we need one. We need, we need to root down a little bit. This episode is, <laughs> we're just skimming the surface. So I think he did well. Right. Jerry Lawler. Uh, I don't know his backstory, just like so many others. And we admit that up front when we don't. I know a lot of people seem like don't really like him in the um, LOP forums, which makes me want to defend him. Uh, not to be <laughs> a contrarian, but I know there's got to be something. Um, every time I see him, I'm like, let's say that I watched him for the first time on this role. I would think that he would last in the business for like a half a year at the most. <laughs> but I also sometimes listen to his shoot interviews and like, I love his love of the business. I love how he got in the business. I love that he did as much as he did outside of the traditional model. So I know that there's more than there is, but like every time I see him, I don't, it's like, he kind of hits a, like Jeff Jarrett hits. We, I knocked Jeff Jarrett in WCW because none of his offense looked like it really did anything. His punches were absurd. And, you know, I kind of feel like that sometimes a Lawler, but so you got my honest answer with like, I'm hedging because I think I, I think I ought to know better also. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Jerry Lawler is a bizarre one to me. I think depending on the context, uh, he can be really incredible or he can be, um, nothing or he can be actually very negative so i don't know he's, he's our one to rate i think a lot of his wwf work does not land with me because a lot of his like early 90s stuff when he came in is just like i i sort of wrestle but i also don't and i'm the burger king and like i'll kind of make <laughs> dumb comments and then later he's just like i'm horny ha 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 you know and that's not that doesn't do anything for me um but in WWF, he has his moments. He'll have a Royal Rumble where he will enter from commentary and be punched out in one second and then go back on commentary and not remember he was in the match. So that, you know, you got to hold up stuff like that in a positive light. And as a wrestler, I, I know some people who think he's one of the best ever. And, you know, I don't know if I'd go that far, but certainly you can be persuaded, I think, especially if you look at his stuff in Memphis where a lot of it it's kind of simple, but like, it's incredibly effective, especially as a baby face. Um, maybe not in this match, but I would single out his punches in particular as something he does extremely well. And, uh, there's just a connection with the crowd that he can create in the right circumstance. And, uh, on the mic, you know, promo, especially as a baby face, 
even as a heel sometimes in Memphis, he can really just fire people up incredibly. So I don't know. In part, I would defend Lawler, and in part, I would certainly agree that, um, you know, there's a lot to dislike there. So we'll see what we see. I only know some of Jerry Lawler's WWF work, but he's an interesting guy that's worth talking about for sure. His most obvious gift is that he talks into the crowd. Yeah. The way that we singled out Sid and others just for, like, demonstrating and making eye contact, I feel like when he's talking to the audience, he's talking to every single individual in a way that I have hardly ever seen. I feel like he could cause a riot or create a (laughs) cult around himself. So that is not nothing. I think I want to see him more in his prime as a babyface because that interests me because he created something absurd in his time. So, you know, there's got to be something to it. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to be seen there that uh, I think is worthy of praise. So I don't know. He's so much the heel in the WWF and in WWE over the years. But my favorite thing I think I've seen from him in the WWE is when he feuded with The Miz in, like, 2010, 2011, something like that. And, you know, it was this very basic feud. But these guys, I don't know, they really created something that I thought was worth seeing at that time. And uh, I wouldn't have expected that out of a guy like Jerry Lawler. So if you've seen that, you might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so we're going to keep our eyes open. Um, it'll be interesting to see the attitude there because as you said, he definitely got his fame, uh, the way you said it. I don't think that's unfair, (laughs) but at the same time, I don't feel like Lawler or Jim Ross was taking over the world by themselves in any time in WWF. So there's something about their coming together. I feel like I'm either going to compliment them or somehow not enjoy either one of them the second time around. So I'm very, I'm very uh, iffy about the attitude. I feel like every time I'm in an era, I'm nervous about one that's coming after. So we'll see how it goes. Well, attitude era uh, is a very extreme era, so I think it's worthy of being uh, nervous about. There'll be great stuff and there'll be bad stuff, I think. We'll see if the momentum can kind of carry it away into the good territory. Um, I'll say much has been said about the con- uh, the uh, chemistry of Lawler and Ross. Um yeah, we'll see if it holds up or not. I think uh, just kind of cherry-picking around the Attitude Era, I'm not overly impressed with it, but sometimes it's different when you're kind of watching a, a bit more uh, chronologically. You're kind of getting into the era more. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. I think it's one of the most difficult eras to call because mm-hmm. it didn't – like if, if they had been sitting there trying to break down the action from an intellectual level, <laughs> the thing would have fallen on its face. So – Right. You know, because it's all the attitude there, especially WWF is all reaction. WWF and WCW are not even doing the same. The WCW doesn't behave like that really until they're like already defeated. Right. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I, I just noticed in my notes, I said that if ECW wanted to be my favorite promotion ever, they would say that they created the, uh, the extreme wrestling by watching Jerry Lawler's reactions to Burger King chants on Raw. <laughs> so that's how I was feeling. Oh my gosh! Um, I'm expecting that's not a compliment. So I just don't believe a grown man would be that put off by being called the Burger King. Yes, you'd think he'd be more uh, confused than anything. Um, but he takes his kingness very seriously. It is funny a little bit. You mentioned Harley Race, and I was thinking about that. The Vince kind of had to like talk him into being the king. Now here's a man who wants to be the king. You know, who was the king before he even came 
to the WWF, so I guess he willingly wants to be that king. I don't know what to think about that. The kind of heel that I think I enjoy would point out that if you're only referenced to, to, to kings as Burger King, then, you know, it's more of a statement on yourself than uh, someone who is actually a king. And like <laughs> all that would do is put the heel further above the audience. It would not like have him running to the back because he can't take the chant. <laughs> That's a very know. good point. Very good point. In oh. this match, they do a lot of teasing of Lawler versus Savage, which I think is not something that will happen um, on tape anywhere, but did happen on some house shows. I, I do wonder what that would look like in 1993. I, yeah, I don't know. It could be good. could be good. I don't know. Yeah. But they're definitely building it. Jerry Lawler's talking to Savage from in the ring as he's wrestling. Mm. Uh, he hits the pile driver win, and then he just goes straight down to the booth, and they just they act like they're going to wrestle next week on Raw. <laughs> I would have liked to see him do it. You know, certainly both of them have something to offer. Um, but no, Randy Savage, get off our TV. You know, go sit in the booth where you belong, I guess. Yeah, Savage is looking. Like he actually had his sleeves cut off, uh, I think, on this episode. And actually looked like he could be a wrestler. So I was like, that guy, I think that guy could get in the ring and do something. Uh, he, this guy, you know, he'll be around. I think he'll fight next WrestleMania. He's got to fight Crush. But, like, he's got to be feeling frustrated. And I, I don't blame him. You know, there's just one thing he wants to do. And he, he can't do it. And I feel like it's obvious. Yeah, imagine watching, too. The company just going down in every way, numbers, and really a lot of uh, quality, and you know who you are, and yet you, you, not only can you not wrestle anymore, you can't wrestle in comparison with this group. <laughs> right. How is it, how the heck is it that Randy Savage is not fit for TV, but you got Jerry Lawler, who I think is also like at least 40 by this time is like, let, let's let's base a whole episode of Raw around him. You know, it, it never makes sense. We've grappled with this for, like, over a year now, it feels like, and just, uh, I don't know, it's very strange. Well, I think when Vince makes decisions, he makes decisions, and they're very specific, and they're very narrow, and they're very, it doesn't have to make sense. And then the other side of it would be, oh, well, Savage said he wanted to, you know, be, do creative, so that's why he's doing it. But, <laughs> you know... Yeah, Randy Savage, uh, no, Jerry Lawler is, I think, 43 at this time, so he should be in the same old folks' home. And Randy Savage is three years younger than him, so what on earth? <sighs> yeah, well, we know history, and we know that Randy yeah. Savage is a future world champion at this time, so. Yes, thank you. It's sort of obvious. It is, it is. Okay, we jump. Uh, to the April 12th, 1993 episode, and we are about to get this brawl that was mentioned between Sherry and Luna Vachon. Uh, we're going to begin with Rob Bartlett uh, getting ready to interview Luna Vachon. And uh, I know from uh, LP Forums that Benjamin Button had a great enduring fear of Luna Vachon. I know you and he uh, often share similar experiences. I wonder if you also had this feeling. <laughs> No, she was, to me, she was just, her voice irritated me, I think. I, I could say that. But, no, nah, I did not. I did not experience that. Um, I think Luna, I don't know how much I watched her, really, you know. Because to me, like, I really enjoy what she's going to do. But there are times where I think they just gave her the Ultimate Warriors um, playbook. So I found her very interesting. I felt like, in a way, I was watching her for the first time. 
Yeah, I mean, if they gave her the warrior gimmick, I can see where you're coming from, but I think she did better with it than he did, um, at least to me, to my taste. So. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It must not be a quote. There's, I think there's a time where she sounds like him. It's, it's, it's before Sherry comes out, and it's just for like a second or two, but old Rob Bartlett's going to get caught in the middle of this. I'd love that he's actually the one who is going to be trying to conduct uh, this interview. <laughs> Ah, love and Bartlett in the same sentence. I'm amazed. What, he what? named this as uh, one of his, I think, one or two favorite things he did on Raw. Yeah, it's probably one of the better things he did because he actually kind of plays his part here. So I'll give credit. Um, so, yes, Bartlett will talk to Luna. And, yeah, what a voice she puts on. I, I guess I could see how it would be annoying, but I was really fascinated by it. And the look, the attitude. It's very different than I think anything we've seen from uh, women in the company, and uh, I appreciated it. I've always liked Luna a lot. I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. She says she is the true woman of the 90s. She's not here to debate, just say the facts. Um, And then Rob Bartlett lets us know Sensational Sherry happens to be here. There's a big Sherry chant, if you can believe it. Um, Who would have thought we would ever hear that? Yeah. She comes down, and man, I praise Sherry's look just about every time I've seen her. I don't know about this one. She kind of looked, uh, she didn't really look like herself, I thought. Yeah, yeah. It feels like, I don't know. I, I love everything that she does on the show, but she's yeah. another one that I feel like is also still not in WWF at this time. <laughs> yeah, her hair's different. Um, you know, her, her makeup's different. Uh if if you really wanted to convince me that like they recast Sherry, I might have bought it until she starts fighting, and then you know. But um, <laughs> yeah, she looks taller too because I think Luna's just really small. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Sherry will come down. Uh, she will say that Luna's a disgrace. Luna says again she's the ultimate female, and they start fighting. And uh, it's a bit of an attitude era preview because I kind of like to uh, rip some clothes in this one. But uh, they go all around, and they're fighting pretty damn hard, actually. And Rob Bartlett is kind of bumbling in the way. He's trying to try to break him up. He'll get roughhoused. He'll run away, you know. So it's a fun segment, actually. Yeah, he loses his clothes, too. <laughs> Not too many. We can be thankful. But uh... Luna talks about also a wild, untamed future, a place that was, a place that was and will be again. Mm. There's a little... Ultimate Warrior is. Yeah. I, I can so understand like, it, so I'll give better credit for it. Yeah. Yeah, that brawl is intense, though. And, it, again, it is both – you want to say it's almost unlike this era in one, on one hand, and then it's, I think there is completely the thing when they say uncooked, uncut, and uncensored, where it's just um, – <laughs> so it's very raw, and then it's a little bit not raw at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like Savage. Uh, uh, Savage big 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 Sherry up a little bit on I think both episodes. Uh, Savage is definitely for Sherry. He comes down, does an interview, and she does the old yeah. So a little nod to their history. Yet you know, as baby faces now, somehow they're getting cheered in their time together. <laughs> that was a nice moment. I would have taken them back together in a heartbeat as baby faces. You know, but uh, it's not to be, sadly. Sherry, Sherry's like, don't, don't, don't put that stink on me. I, I'm an active, vibrant star. I will not, I will not keep, uh, keep him up and keep yeah. him awake during the day. I, I don't have to go to the old folks' home with this guy. <laughs> but they both had to run to WCW shortly just to uh, keep getting work. So what can you do? Absolutely. It must be tough for Sherry, cause like, you know, not for nothing, but 
basically they're replacing her here with Luna Vachon. Like she'll be gone almost immediately after this feud is done. Um, so that's gotta be a little tough, you know. Maybe she didn't know it was coming, but uh, yeah, she'll she'll go over to WCW. She'll get some very nice years in, as many will. Yeah, people like to make fun of WCW for buying all this talent and stuff, but look how many capable people who were not going to be able to work got money and a job and a chance to work because of them. Yeah, I never accepted then or now this idea of like, oh, you can't just hire people from you know so and so company. That's embarrassing. Um. And guess what? No, it's not. You know, like, uh, you have to judge each case individually. Some people probably shouldn't have gotten hired. Uh, you know, you got your Jim Duggins, you got your Honky Tonk Men, these types. But yeah, you got so many talented people, and that goes for now as well. And AW people are like, oh, they just take people from WWE. And like, calm down. No, they don't. Like, watch one episode, and you'll see like 60 people who are not in WWE or didn't make their name there. So, uh, let's all calm down and recognize it's not a crime to hire good talent. Yeah. These are the only businesses where you hire people who have done the thing that you also do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Very much so. Okay. So we're going to leave Raw for a little while. We're going to give you about three or four matches that are not coming from Raw. Uh, first up is going to be Doink the Clown going one-on-one with El Matador. Hey, and they're in Europe again, where Tio Santana once uh, famously pinned The Undertaker, as we mm. well know. So we'll see if now he can pin Doink as well. How about that? That, that Tito is something else. I will always remind people of that, because, uh, yeah, he's about to be gone too, but he pinned The Undertaker one time. Yes. I love Doink coming out with his umbrella. He's just in his own little world in, in the best way possible. Oh, Doink is killing it. Doink is up contending with uh, some of the best guys in 1993. He's up there with the Steiners and Perfect and, uh, I don't know, Michaels, Razor. Like, he's just in that elite tier of stuff that is working in 1993. I said Doink is like Yoko Jr. because <laughs> I feel like if there is no Yoko, Doink is the one who's coming out of nowhere and, like, getting the crowd reactions. Yeah, absolutely. He just popped up suddenly right around the same time and uh, – He's doing so well, like, in the ring and with the reactions, like you said. He's very over, and uh, it's going to be a heartbreaker when they recast him and make him a baby face, because then I think he's going to be about the worst thing on the show. But right now, he's killing it. Yeah, I think Matt Bourne, like, nobody hardly likes Matt Bourne, because I think he had a lot of demons and was a bit of an asshole. And that's the irony of some of these things. If he wasn't like that, they wouldn't have made him doink, because... (laughs) They made him doink because he reminded them of an angry, evil clown, you know. <laughs> but then also probably doink fades out partly because of the same reason. So it's, I'm all, I'm always going to be sad when I think about the Matt Bourne story because it's just the, ta- the talent level. He's, he's as talented as anybody in the WWF. And like I said, this is a very talented roster, even though we don't know it all the time. <laughs> no, he is a superb performer. I did not know that his casting as doink was uh, partly a shoot. But I did know that he um, had his share of problems, which is very unfortunate. I don't know. A lot of talented people in wrestling also have a lot of problems. And that, uh, I don't know if that's just because you get kicked in the head for a living or maybe uh, wrestling attracts that type of person. I have no idea. But uh, it is, it's sad to think about. I think it was the Krusty the Clown um, <laughs> reference that made him doink. Like, I can't remember who looked at him and was like, yeah, you because know, the way he was standing, the way he was carrying himself, the way uh-huh. he was behaving. So that kind of, I think that initiated the doink idea. I can see it. 1993 is a prime year for a Simpsons reference. I'm, I'm surprised 
anyone with power in the WWF had uh, had watched it, but um, you know, so yeah, that's fair. So Tito, you kind of know that Doink likes to wrestle. Doink likes to get you down. Tito, Tito needs to get around. Tito needs to keep the pace um, moving, and I think that's the kind of the contrast of the two in this one. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I enjoy this match fairly well. It's nothing that'll blow your mind, but uh, it, it's definitely the uh, dichotomy of strategy because Doink, you know, he is very technical. Uh, he will really kind of brutalize Tito's arm for a while. Tito will have to kind of fire up, make that comeback. Uh, he almost got the win here. He was about a half second away with that flying forearm. Yeah, Doink. Doink goes to that coat, I think, when he gets in trouble. So someone just needs to kick that thing off the off the little um, corner there. If we uh, we were smart enough in wrestling to get rid of the heels, um, you know, uh, accessories, then uh, every baby face would win every match. So we can't have that. I think their arrogance gets in the way. Rick Martel, arrogance? What? No. Yeah, the, Rick Martel's not arrogant. Rick Martel is um, aware of his gifts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but he does uh, market the spray arrogance. He does. So, yeah. See, he's a decent guy. Like, I've never heard that he got super pissed because Doink was spraying something in the eyes. I feel like half of the roster back then would, like, go to Vince and quit their job over it. <laughs> or at least want to start a feud because two people can't do anything similar. So, oh, my gosh. That's a point. I think Doink... Go ahead. I would say this was a fun match. What, what yeah. else have you got? Doink beats him, I think, the way he beat the boss man, which is that kind of spray in the eyes, the yep. water or whatever it is. He gets that win. So Doink, uh, greater than The Undertaker at this moment, beating mm. Tito Santana. Think about that. That would have been a good feud as well. It would have. Doink, Doink has some similarities to The Undertaker, I think, because there's something kind of creepy about him, kind of mysterious. He's a guy who came out of nowhere. Uh, from WCW, by the way, and uh, kind of got a, a, an outlandish gimmick and worked it really well. I I don't want to go too far out on a limb here, but man, if if Doink, uh, if if Mad Born had been more of a, a Mark Calloway temperament, I could see this gimmick going for years and years and years. I don't know if it would have happened, but I think there's possibility for it. Oh yeah, he would have been a dastardly heel for much longer. And I think when he became a babyface, he'd be a much more interesting and compelling babyface. Yeah, or just not a babyface because clowns are evil and they should not be babyfaces. So <laughs> this is my opinion. That's a good opinion, but man, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see them keep going from being a babyface. That's true. It's the problem. He's going to get over. Yeah, you're too talented, and that's you know sometimes that's a problem because the fans are like, I hate this guy, but I also want to get on this this train before I'm left. <laughs> I feel like we're gonna. On this show, or, or soon at least, we're really going to see that with Razor Ramon. He's going to have a great moment coming up as a heel, but like they got to turn him soon because he is just very over at this point. And he's going to do a big babyface thing you know, later yeah, in the show. That's true. So it's not a shock to me that that, that would happen. Mm-hmm. He's just so talented, so gifted. He's got the look. He's got charisma. He's smart. Like It had to just be like his, his demons and his struggles because like, – he is like twenty five to one against Diesel. You know, it blows my mind that they're, that they're going to go the direction they go. Absolutely, even in WCW, even later when he's like barely standing up because he's probably drunk. Like at the time in WCW, he can get a bigger pop just from saying "Hey yo" than from any like cutesy insider BS that Nash wants to spit out. So yeah, he's just above and beyond. Like the charisma of this man is ridiculous. 
it's just how smart it like I was thinking about that quote that like we're taking a survey and it's real real simple and mm. that real real simple is so important <laughs> uh, he had his patter uh, down in ways that very few people I think can really live up to man yeah we'll talk more Scott Hall Razor <laughs> Ramon in a little bit but I, this I is... just gotta say I think just randomly like for the past few weeks I've just been thinking about the way he says WCW <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something about it. It's like iconic. I, I don't know. I'm just randomly thinking about that. I got to share it. It's the grand, but that everything that's cultural about the North versus the South, about like disrespectful and like looking down on the South, kind of mm-hmm. thinking of it. Like, you you could go on like a 10 minute rant about the South and WCW, or you could just say WCW like that. WCW. Yes. <laughs> just oh, Like everything it, you need to know is summed up right there. I've never seen someone who knows more of what they're doing and comes off like they're just doing it. Oh. He's transcended at times. Like you said, like the personal problems really just took down what he could have been. But man, he was so much still. Yeah. He is still as good as anybody. The fact that Sting was his idea, you know. Sure. The, yeah. The fact that he came out of the crowd, thanks to Larry Zabisco, but he's the one. So you don't have WCW doesn't have his run without him. Scott Hall. So, mm. you know, he is tied to some of the most important things in my lifetime easily in pro wrestling. Absolutely. I think the most interesting match on uh, on paper was Mr. Perfect versus Blake Beverly because I was not expecting a singles match from a Beverly brother. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, why would I put it here on the set? Is that the reason? No, I was curious, but like okay. I kind of wish Bo didn't come down and we just let him have a straight match. <laughs> They're having quite a match i think here like i remember the first time i watched it just watching through random episodes of challenge uh, as i was doing at the time you got jim ross bobby keenan doing their commentary which is fun a little bit different i'm like oh this this should be fun and man they jumped this one from the start blake jumps on mr perfect he i never saw this he will choke him with the towel and like spin him around by the neck with the towel still around him and like that is that is really something that shocked me at the time. Yeah, yeah, that towel is a is a big player in today's episode leading to King <laughs> of the Ring. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't, Blake Beverly. I don't know. He was here to make a statement or something. He seemed very very motivated in this match. Very hungry to put on. He always good. is. He he's my favorite Beverly, and I like his I like his offense better. And I, I credit got, that I, you I, can I will, tell them apart. I can never figure. Is he with the mustache or not? Yeah, he's got the mustache. Okay, and he, does yeah. big, he does the big power slam. Okay, I think that's my Guinness. I think he's my favorite too. But I always mix him up. So that means that uh, Bo's probably the one who jumps over him when he's standing straight up. I, I don't know that for sure, but that's great too. It's crazy to me that no one talks about the Beverly Brothers. I don't know if it's kind of had a short run or their gimmick was kind of weird. Like, if you watch their promos, it's like their brothers who maybe are having sex with each other, you know. I, yeah. I have no idea what that's all about. But just watch their matches and try to deny that this is, like, a really, really good team that does not get credit like they should. Absolutely. Especially these days. My God, in the era that they're in, they're, like, they're probably in top. Are they top two in WWF right now? Oh, wow. I mean, in what way? 
Like in tag tag teams. Uh, you got Money Inc. You got Steiners. So I don't know what you think about Money Inc. at this point, but um. You got Head Shrinkers as well. Sure, sure. In terms of like talent, yeah, they might be number two after the Steiners. Not in terms of push, but yeah, I mean yeah. they're high up there. I mean talent. Sure. And just the way they put it together. Um, I Jim Ross says uh, that Perfect's had trouble with his back. Bobby Heenan says, no, I've had trouble with my back. That's where they found the knife that Perfect put in it. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, he holds Perfect. that for you, man, forever. <laughs> he does. He holds on to this one about as hard as any that he ever have. Um, well, at the start of this, Jim Ross, oh, Blake Beverly is choking Mr. Perfect with his towel. And Heenan says, you know what they say? Live by the towel, die by the towel. Yes. <laughs> Jim Ross is just. It's gonna be interesting to hear the announcers at King of the Ring because I, yeah, in my mind, I think they have a they have a tough night out there. But I, I also could be wrong about that because I haven't watched it in a hundred years. Who's the team at King of the Ring? Savage, Heenan, and Jim Ross. Okay, so it's WrestleMania again. Um, yeah. I don't know. We'll see how they do. So one thing that I will say here that I never thought I would say, this is why we rewatch it. If you just went off momentum for the last six months, I think Mr. Perfect should be the one who wins King of the Ring. Yeah, I mean, they seem, if Bret Hart had not lost the title, if he had been defending it against somebody, you know, that that wouldn't have been the right way to go. But if it had happened, I think he definitely would have, because, yeah, he's wonderfully positioned to get it. Has anybody been more over more consistently, like whether they're on Raw, whether they're on like a house show, whether they're on Coliseum Video, whether they're on somewhere else? Has anybody been more consistently over every time than Mr. Perfect? I don't think so. Not Brett, not uh, who else is even in contention, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> is Brett the only babyface? Brett and Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> God, it sure seems that way, yeah. Wow. What about Bob Backlund? No, he's not. Yeah. He doesn't count. <laughs> It blows my mind every time he's out there, though. I don't know if I just hit a bias against him for some reason, but, like, I never saw him. Like, to me, the highest he ever could be was that that, that heel run he had in 91, but mm. his babyface run is different than what I I felt it and saw as a kid, that's for sure. I, I don't know. It doesn't have that reputation, maybe because WWF never really capitalized on it. Like, after he beat Flair, it was kind of like, okay, like, just kind of meander around the mid-card. But, yeah, he's very over. He's putting on great performances i love 93 mr perfect he's gonna have a, a another killer killer match with bret hart at king of the ring so i'm looking forward to that yeah he means something like when he's out there you know what he's about and so i think that goes a long way uh he's gonna pick up uh the victory here of course perfect's always pissed off i think that's another problem is that like oh perfect's pissed off because brett got like, he felt like he should have got more than he got, like, whether it's the IC title or Brett got his push. Mm. And, like, oh, well, Perfect's always pissed off. But, man, like I said, you know, he's got an argument to make. I'm not saying he should have got it instead of Brett, but I'm saying that you could have picked either one and you would not have uh, been out of line. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he should have gotten something, but he won't get Intercontinental title. He won't get King of the Ring. He kind of won't really get anything, and he'll fade out, so... In fairness, they really won't do anything with uh, all these great reactions he's getting. Yeah. So, Perfect's going to keep winning, keep dominating, but kind of going nowhere at the same time. Uh, meanwhile, we had the first King of the Ring qualifying match, I guess, in the history of King of the Ring as a pay-per-view. It's Lex Luger going one-on-one with Bob Backlund. Yes, and... Uh... I, I really wanted to find the clip. I couldn't find it. But uh, before this, sometime before this, Jack Tunney will announce the results 
of the investigation mm. and that uh, Luger's metal plate has been found. However, it's a medical device, so it's legal, but now he has to wear an elbow pad. So, Mystic, what do you think of all this as our number one Lex Luger fan? No, I think, is it legal or is it not legal? <laughs> because if it's legal, then why is it not legal is my... <laughs> So this Jack Tunney is absurd. I think that we need to get rid of him. I think that uh, between the decision that he makes to make Hulk Hogan still the world champion in a match that was never sanctioned, and then Lex Luger's legal arm has to be covered, one wonders if this man is not slipping on the job. <laughs> Impeach uh, Jack Tunney has been the word on the heels mouths for a while, and uh, we can join in right here together. It just makes sense. I don't. I hope I can find the line, but... Bobby Heenan traps Vince McMahon about this decision about uh, Hulk Hogan. And I don't, that's during the Marty Janae Sean match, I think. We'll get to it. But I don't think Vince even knows what he said. But we'll, Jack Tony's clearly in the wrong, folks. And, you know, Luger ought to be able to wrestle out the pad, and Hulk Hogan probably shouldn't be the world champion. But we are where we are, so here we go. <laughs> I mean, this is Jack Tunney, a man who didn't know Hulk Hogan was misbehaving until 1991, so clearly not very on the ball. My favorite thing about the narcissist character is, like, he really only goes out there to look at himself in the mirror and then knock somebody out. Like, he does not want to exert himself, and the minute that he's forced to wrestle, it's like he just gets so offended and has no idea what's going on. So, like, the pad on the arm has just ruined his life. <laughs> It's a great bit, and Luger sells it very well. I love that characterization of Luger in this gimmick. I feel like it fits him very well. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of being won over more on this narcissist gimmick. I almost wonder maybe it should have continued in some way. Maybe not exactly the way it is, but um, uh, there's some good stuff here. Yeah, this one fits him as much as the next one doesn't. And Luger always said that he thought this had a lot more in it. So mm, yeah. I think he got the best match out of Bob Backlund I've seen because Backlund just sidesteps him, rolls him up, just runs him around, and it's just like humorous to watch. Luger goes all the way to the curtain and is like, what was that? Like he has no <laughs> idea. The narcissist has no idea what he just encountered. I love how Backlund can confound Luger and can manhandle him with how strong he is and how Luger, yeah, is, is reduced to like, stooging around at times and uh, he just sells it incredibly well both physically and uh, even verbally as you said it, it, there's some great chemistry here it's a short match but it's a very enjoyable one i think i won't get into it we'll talk about it in 94 but just like every other sad thing in my life i thought lex Luger was going to take the world title off bob backland later so <laughs> i i'm glad to see that even the early stuff had some charm and potential to it Absolutely so. Once again, Lex Luger uh, bigged up on this program, and deservedly so. Yeah, they're still building Hart and Luger on every show, even though, you know, they're not going to do much with it visibly. Yeah, uh, we will time. cover a Luger-Brett match, but it will be one of these matches that exists, like, where you're not supposed to see it. Um, you know, it'll never happen in a place where it's meant to be a payoff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they called Luger's uh, forearm a cheap shot. Bobby Heenan says it doesn't matter what you call it as long as you get the shot in, which to me is just very practical and very honest there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bobby Heenan, the voice of uh, pragmatism once again. And this is also cool because like Luger's going to hit the forearm to get the win, but it's Backlund, Backlund's getting on the apron to try to get back in the ring, and Luger hits him with that forearm like and just knocks him to the floor. So it's a different, different take on the Lex Luger uh, forearm. 
Yep, still making good use of it. And, uh, man, I'll just say, I felt like Backlund flew about halfway to the locker room off of this. Yes. He, he did a great job bumping off that elbow. Absolutely. I, I recommend this matchup to people. I think it's very fun. I think it brings out the narcissist character. Like I said, I think it makes Bob Backlund look better. He didn't look stupid. He looked like he was very effective and knew what he was doing. And so I think just some good uh, chemistry and energy between them. I agree. Take a few minutes out. Watch this match. It's not very long, but it shows you a lot, I think, about both these guys. I would love to see a more uh, meaty match between them, so I don't know if we'll see that in the future, but I hope so. Yeah. I don't know how that match will be because we'll see. Um, (laughs) Mr. Made in the USA, and I will take that as we go. Fair enough. Fair enough. Meanwhile, we got one more before we go back to Raw. This is Bret Hart going one-on-one with Lex Luger, so finally... Some revenge, potentially, for Bret Hart uh, from that um, knockout at WrestleMania brunch. <laughs> and he's also, you know, in early 94, these will be the two two men who will win the Royal Rumble together, famously. And uh, we'll be in a very different place by then. But, uh, yeah, something about these two names together always kind of, uh, you know, puts a little light bulb over my head. Yeah, these two, like I said, they were friends in WWF, even though... Uh, we'll get to that later, but they're friends. Uh, uh, Brett introduced Luger to Starbucks coffee, so there's that. <laughs> I love that they're friends. I don't know why, but it just uh, it touches my heart somehow. Apparently, Jr. tells us that Lex Luger was not in a good frame of mind as he did not get to pose in this matchup. <laughs> I love... Man... I spent a lot of time thinking this narcissist character was not much, and clearly it has its downfalls. We were all at the Royal Rumble together, um, but uh, I don't know. Little things like that kind of make me think that it really did work. Like you said, there could be a lot more to this character, a lot of gas left in the tank. Yeah, there, there clearly is. I think the smart thing to do, and this is how you naturally do it, I think, is have him big, like have him be that narcissist, have him be that guy that doesn't want to wrestle, have him be that guy that that is entitled and knock Bret Hart out, you know, play it for everything it's worth. And then, you know, you slowly bring it down and turn him like gradually over time, which is the opposite of everything that they're going to do, which is to cut off the gimmick early, too early. And then to have an unrealistic, ridiculous flip that you're not even going to do anything with in the long run. Right. Yeah. No follow through for sure. And then they're going to call it the greatest push that any wrestler's ever been given. So (laughs) good times. Oh, absurd. Absurd. Um, Bret Hart. Bret Hart keeps Luger kind of cut down and cut off early in the match. Yeah, and Luger, I think, does a very good job um, selling it and playing to it. At one point, Bret will, like, grab him by the shoulder, and Luger will say, that's a million-dollar shoulder. (laughs) So, (laughs) like, he's going to persuade Bret, like, maybe let's let's stop wrestling or let's not wrestle so hard so that my body, you know, looks beautiful still. That's the favorite thing about this gimmick is the fact that he doesn't want to wrestle and he had a way to get away with like having a successful wrestling career and not wrestling until Jack Tunney went and meddled. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan uh, commenting on this one. We got Jim Ross saying, why do you suppose Bret Hart targeted Lex Luger's left shoulder instead of his right? That's the one he uses for the knockout shot. Bobby Heenan says, oh, it's easy. He's Canadian. Jim Ross, that has nothing to do with it. Bobby Heenan says, well, three quarters of your brain is frozen from birth if you're born in Canada and you lose most of the rest of it in the exchange. Wow. That's a hell of a statement. <laughs> and, you know, one wonders what the excellence of execution was trying to do, you know? 
Oh my gosh. I just love that the exchange comes in at the end. Like that killed me. Just even reading it, that killed me all over again. (laughs) Oh, it was beautiful. I had that one down too, because it's just, it's just lovely. You know, Bobby Heenan has an answer for everything. And somehow this is the difference between, I think Lawler's commentary, like Lawler, it's like, oh, he's doing that thing where he's going to be disagreeable and say outrageous things. Mm-hmm. Bobby Heenan says them like he truly believes them, like he's thought about them, like he'll argue with you about them. And it's just a difference. It's a difference that so many that came out of the golden era, which like we, we addressed this early, not that there's anything wrong with cartoons, but the kind of statement of, oh, it's a cartoon era. Mm-hmm. It's got some of the most, the, the, the deepest, most authentic, most, uh, in the world characters, in the community, in life characters, and Bobby Heenan still brings that with him. He's not adjusted to whatever this uh, uncooked era is going to be. Uh, absolutely so. I love that you put it that way, because I don't know if I would have even articulated it like that, but yes, the difference between him and so many people who will come after him who will basically do like lame Bobby Heenan uh, imitation shtick is that he is so devoted to these ideas not that he wouldn't like turn around on them but like in the moment he seems to really believe them and you get so many people and i think lawler is kind of bad about this who will when they say the thing that like supports the heel you could see like behind the veil you say well they're just saying that because that guy's the heel you know (laughs) whereas bobby heenan you feel like he's saying it Oh, because we share a locker room, you know, and so I'm I'm just inclined to think well of this guy, so I'm just going to, like, tell you the good thing about him and kind of ignore the bad thing. I don't know. There's just something more authentic, more natural about it. When Bobby Heenan does it, it's so effortless. Yeah, that's so true. I remember so many times that he stuck up for Jimmy Hart or Sherry, and you knew he didn't necessarily like them, though he may have, but, like... They know how much they need each other, and like a week from now, he might need them. And you know, you got to do what you got to do to survive against that evil and awful Hulk Hogan locker room that you're facing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just a, a totally different feeling, and uh, I love that. One thing I like, Lex Luger does a backbreaker as a narcissist, and one, um, it's almost every single gimmick that he's had, he has a different moves, set of moves. Like he, when he was. The WCW World Champion, he added, of course, the Harley Race Piledriver, but he also added a DDT. I don't think he does this little backbreaker as a babyface or maybe even as a heel. So it's just like, weirdly, like he's got two or three extra moves in a lot of different gimmicks that he never carries over to the to the next uh, either turn or gimmick or era. Yeah, another great thing about Luger is that, yeah, he will try out different things and he will keep some things. And sometimes stuff will just be like in a particular time and place. So I am, uh, once again, persuaded that uh, Lex Luger is far greater than his reputation. This is, I think this is a very good match. Uh, they get some good time to work, and they really uh, kind of showed me something very good here, I thought. I agree. It's, it's uh, another one where when Luger has the advantage, like he either wants to look at himself or argue with the fans. It's just like this guy does not want to wrestle, but he's also so good that he doesn't have to. Like my favorite, almost maybe my favorite, Disney character of all time is Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. And like when I saw him with his manager, I always kind of rooted for him. Like I, he's a jerk. I get that. But I never thought I never thought Gaston was being mean on purpose. I just thought he's a very simple and arrogant man. And it doesn't mean that he's not uh, accountable for his actions. But there's a very Lex Luger thing there, a very narcissist thing there. 
that he's just like, oh, well, I mean, what else would anyone want except Gaston? And, you know, he genuinely doesn't know better. And it's not just narcissist. He's wrestling the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And he's 75% more interested in arguing with the fans than even dealing with Brett because he just assumes he's that much better than the excellence of execution. Uh, that's a beautiful comparison. I'm all about that. Um, like, so we can join up with um, Savage and Sherry at the Disney villain uh, kind of yes. club where they can hang out. So that's very <laughs> good stuff. The Luger, Luger gets a lot of advantage when Brett breaks out. Brett breaks out, and it's clear that Bret Hart's got the advantage. He's hitting the five moves of doom, and then he's about to hit the sharpshooter. And here comes Razor Ramon, and we're about to see some bumbling heels and Bret Hart's about to get the best of both of them after the DQ. <laughs> uh, we do get the DQ. Uh, Bret uh, does fight both guys. They're going to get in the advantage with the numbers. But then Luger, he's trying that forearm. He hits Razor Ramon by mistake. Bret Hart will bail out. Razor and Luger are facing off. And this, this is what I was thinking of, where they get very big chance for Razor. So uh, th- mm. this is clearly the guy who's going to have to become a babyface. He almost turns here because he knocks out Luger. And, uh, you know, if you knock out the guy you're supposed to be friends with, that's definitely babyface material right there. Yeah. So they, they bumble around. Luger knocks him out, doesn't he? Does he? No, I thought Razor knocked uh, Luger out of the ring or something. I could be wrong about that. I'm not sure. I thought he missed the forearm on Brett and and Razor was holding him, but I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, Luger, Luger does forearm Razor to kind of instigate this. At the end, uh, Razor dumps Luger out of the ring. So. Okay, gotcha. Um, gotcha. Okay, so I think that's a very fitting ending. I think it's well done. You don't really want a winner here, but you want to keep things moving. Mm-hmm. It's more simple that Bret Hart is almost the only babyface because he's had a, any top guy he's been in a program, like Luger, uh, Yoko, Razor, you know, he's, he's, he's the one been wrestling all of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some uh, glue making it all stick together here. Um, one last commentary piece from this match. Uh, Bobby Heenan, um, I'm surprised you can pull Bret Hart's hair. It's so full of oil and grease. You could run a car off that hair. Jim Russ says, that's not a nice thing to say, Bobby. Bobby says, well, it's not nice hair either. <laughs> I love that. He comes back to the hair again. Jim Ross again acts like he doesn't know what he's talking about. But, <laughs> yeah, we just had that conversation in the same uh, match. The hair of uh, Bret Hart would be a common target for Bobby Heenan, I think. That's a fair uh, um, a target. It's very wet so. hair. So. <laughs> We're going to another full Raw. We got May 17th, 1993. So we have jumped ahead a bit. We are getting closer to King of the Ring. We got Vince McMahon, Randy Savage, and Bobby Heenan on the call. And this is where go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. This is where Randy Savage is looking like a wrestler, I think. So I said the wrong show, but otherwise, that's it. Uh, yeah, no, <sighs> I'm not even gonna talk about that anymore because it's too confusing. We've talked about it too much. We're gonna start off with the debut of the Smoking Guns, a very important team for the next couple of years here. And uh, I don't say too much except, man, their finisher is unbelievable, I think. They do, like, a backdrop into a pile driver, and there's no way they're allowed to hold on to that. But holy crap, that's one that looks like they about murdered somebody. Yeah, I got a lot to say about smoking guns, too. But real quick before that, Lord Alfred Hayes was on Raw, my friend. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, tell me. Go ahead. He was out there, man. Last week he was out there when the brawl happened where they destroyed Fink's car, and Fink didn't know it was happening, but that's a whole different story. Uh, (laughs) Now this week he saw a man in a disguise enter the building. 
Uh, well, that's less exciting than Alfred Hayes, but still, we got to think about that disguise. Just hope it's not the Repo Man. Yeah, might be. <laughs> and then these smoking guns, man. Billy Gunn looks like uh, country music singer Tubby Keith when he was young, so um, <laughs> I have no idea how that's Billy Gunn is my first thought. <laughs> it's amazing. You might still see him wrestle on Dynamite sometimes, so, like, yeah. this is a guy who's been around for a long time. Uh, I have a soft spot for Billy Gunn, so I'm looking forward to some some of his stuff. My first three lines was hard to believe. One, that they got guns out there. <laughs> number two, that that's <laughs> Billy Gunn. And number three, that Vincent Man liked this. <laughs> yeah, they do have guns that they kind of like shoot around like the, the blanks, don't they? Um, <laughs> and then uh, we also now are one step closer to the Brawl for All. We are. If you were marking that on your calendar, then uh, you yeah. know, here's another step forward to Bart Gunn's uh, moment of fame, quote unquote. I'm not surprised Vince would like this. I feel like he always liked the hokey gimmicks. You know, the only thing better is if they were hillbillies. You know, he loves yeah. that stuff. I feel like this is the the babyface Beverly Brothers almost. You got a team that can do more than you expect, and they can do well together, and they kind of look alike. <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that. I hope that's not the reason the Beverly Brothers got canned. But, mm. uh, you know, Smoking Guns, they're going to do some good stuff, so I'm looking forward to it. And you're right, that absurd finisher, the backdrop into a catch and pile driver, which I think with the talent on the roster, they can't do that. They can't win all their matches with that. That can might only say. be an enhancement. I'll win. <laughs> you can only do that to a little jobber. You know, everyone else is too big. You know, you'll kill them. So. Yeah, you're not doing that to the head shrinkers. <laughs> and again, it's like the Beverly Brothers because their finisher also was insane for enhancement talent, where they popped the guy up and then like grabbed his head and spiked him down. So, yeah, I don't think they could do it because this is not the Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks. <laughs> but my God, attempting that finisher on Scott Steiner, and then he hits a Frankensteiner out of it. Oh my God! See. That that's the benefit of like kind of uh, modern wrestling, you know. It has its drawbacks, but God, they'll do some amazing stuff. And in this era, they're kind of like, well, let's not bother, you know. So yeah, I think that, that, was, that might oh my God. that might be it. Whew. Whew. that's something. Which one's more difficult, do you think, getting him in the getting Scott in the backdrop or Scott hitting the Frankensteiner out of it? I don't even know, man. <laughs> that's some incredible. <laughs> that's some top level stuff right there. Yeah. All right, so this is a terrible. Man. I just gotta say, saying it, what yeah. a terrible time to be an enhancement talent because you got all these like insane finishers to take, and you got Steiners, and like Yokozuna will sit on you, and uh, man, I just feel like it's a tough time to be a, a, an enhancement talent. No, it, I think if the dark side of the ring wanted to um, do their job, they could do a whole episode on the way enhancement talent was treated because uh, Sid has said in and that. In WCW, Sid, Vader, and the Steiners would have a bet about who could send an enhancement talent to the hospital. Oof. That makes so. me sad. The Vader would be in that. That's not that's not in Vader's personality as I understood it. So I'm not saying that's, it's not true. I'm le- I'm not surprised at the other three. I'll just say I'm surprised Vader was in there. Yeah. Especially since Vader ended up breaking somebody's back and so that you know. Right, yeah. I don't know. I've seen uh, Vader worked stiff, but I, I don't know. I've seen uh, even jobbers come out um, and be like, it was, uh, you know, Vader was stiff, but he wasn't like other people trying to hurt us or anything. So. That was the 90s, man. Those enhancement talents. Yeah, for sure. They were also nice, too. Like, I, 
I liked, even as a child, and I don't know Button, I forgot what Button's watching, but he was talking to me about, maybe Mid-Atlantic, but the, the, the enhancement talent would do promos on the shows as well, like with everybody else. So I think that's an interesting thought. Yeah, I mean, if we'd watched more um, week-to-week stuff from like 85, 86, I think we would have seen that even in WWF, where, where kind of even the enhancements had a lot of personality. Uh, that's definitely not true in 93 anymore, but yeah, no, there's something to it. And, yeah, and we'll kind of get into that in a little bit because we are going to play oh, with yeah. that idea. So uh, they get the win with that awesome finisher. Um, it's rare you see people just break onto the scene, but man, like you can tell, smoking guns are—they got some uh, juice behind them in the WWF here. They do. It's a fun squash, you know. So we'll see what they do. I, I feel like they don't get a lot of conversation compared to Billy Gunn's other kind of runs, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do together. Same. We'll see how it goes. Um, Vince McMahon is with Shawn Michaels. Uh, there, as uh, Bobby Hinn says, there are some Shawn is great chants going on in New York. So respect to the heel and IC champion. Um, Shawn Michaels is going to walk himself into a trap here. He's he is playing the Bret Hart role, although he is not a babyface and he's not Bret Hart. But he says that he has defended his championship all over the world. Um, he's been a defending champion. And Vincent Man follows it up by saying, you've been a reluctant champion. Vincent <laughs> Man throwing shade on the guy that he will love more than life itself in 1996. Yeah, Michael says, I will defend my belt anywhere, anytime against anybody. And lo and behold, here comes a man in a disguise that we heard about from Alfred Hayes. He's standing in the ring. Sean's going on and on. And then all of a sudden, my God, by God, by George, it's Marty Gennetti. <laughs> it's a good segment, and it gets a very good pop. I feel like this is maybe the third time Gennetti has like suddenly reappeared to attack Shawn Michaels, so maybe Michaels should start expecting it. But uh, it's a very good segment. It's exciting, I thought. Yeah, and Marty Gennetti's over big time, and it makes like you do something so devious as to throw your partner through a window, and I know they don't mean it because Marty keeps leaving for other reasons, but like it's kind of cool that he can't shake uh, this the yeah. very behavior that gave him that single success and turned him. He cannot shake the consequences of his behavior. Yeah, I, I like that as well. And in a better world, it would have passed. It would have um, kind of worked out better in the end. But there's something about it, you know. Even if I, I don't feel like these two ever had like that that really great match that maybe you think they could have, but they had some really good ones. They had some good angles. This is maybe the best one. Like this is probably the most exciting, just like just pure segment we've seen on Raw so far. So there's a lot to be said for this. Yeah, I think they have a really good one here. I think Marty's in good shape, and I think Marty, at least on this night, seems ready to do the thing. So I like I like the Marty Gennetti we get this time. This, this has got to be one of the best early Raws, because you get this segment, and then they have their main event, and then you have the thing with uh, Racer Ramon and all this stuff. And, like, there's a lot happening on this Raw, like, this is this is uh, probably one of the best Raws you'll see from this era. It is a click-driven Raw with a Yokozuna sandwich, a Yoko Kamala sandwich in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you got that right. So they go on to do their thing. Sean is beside himself. He, he walked himself into this match that he can't get out of. And then, like I said, very click-driven because Razor Ramon is now going to face an enhancement talent who has L Kid from another promotion on his trunks. He's been the cannonball kid. Now he's the kid. So Razor Ramon against this uh, toothpick 
of a kid, and he's going to make short work of him, one would assume. One would assume, and uh, unfortunately we have time to see, but watching week to week, yes, you'll see this kid appear under different names, get killed over and over. And what I like best about this is they really do not treat him any differently than any other enhancement talent that you would see. Like, there's nothing to tip the hand, kind of what's coming. Um, so I think it's done very well. Plus, I'm very excited to see Sean Waldman. I'm a big fan of his work. And uh, this segment, I, I feel like this is an all-timer angle that we're about to see right here. Yeah, this is one of the best angles you're ever going to see. It's one of the, it's like a, it's a master class in getting somebody over. And by the way, as Scott Hall would always say in uh, his own interviews, like he lost nothing from doing this. Absolutely. Uh, he probably gained something from doing this whole thing. Like he became even more popular. Um, they, they have kind of the squash match that you'd expect. Razor Mon looks great as usual. Uh, Sean Waltman does some, some beautiful big bumps that I really appreciate. But oh my God, when 123 Kid pulls out the victory in this match out of nowhere, the crowd loses their minds. I about jumped out of my seat even knowing it was going to happen. When I watched this match, I spent like probably a decade, you know, in, in watching time, just seeing squash matches. You know, I was watching episodes of Challenge, Superstars, like people would be squashed over and over. It was so expected. I probably saw hundreds of squash matches. And then for this to happen and for it to be executed so well, I felt like somehow it paid off like a thousand jobber matches all in one moment. And it was just incredible. Like this, this had me really jumping out of my seat right here. Yeah, man, that's, that's perfectly said. It, it is. Many people have said, I think rightly so Jim Cornette said of the um, CM Punk uh, debut that was done. It was perfectly done. And you don't say that a lot because it's not true most of the time. Yeah. This is another one that is perfectly done. Yes. The casting, Razor Ramon's perfect for this. One, two, three kids perfect for this. As you said, they don't give it away. It has all that history behind it. Razor Ramon learned from Mr. Perfect to wrestle that nonchalant. Look at the camera. Do your thing. So, like, you really just – you think you're watching just an arrogant, like – put on a razor but like if someone else had done this and they were like kind of playing up how much better they were you might get suspicious but razor ramon always wrestles these matches like this yeah he's just chopping him tossing him around looking at the camera but that's a razor matchup and then when one two three kid hits that moonsault and watch razor's legs shaking from under him and like just the befuddlement that comes after it the, the way the fans cheer like there is nothing to critique about this segment Absolutely. It is perfect. And if I'm remembering right, it also ends with kid will like flee the building. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I would that's perfect, too. Yeah. If you know who Razor Ramon is and you just beat him and you're the one, two, three kid, you better run. But man, it's it is. It is perfect. Everything about this is actually flawless. They booked their whole company as well as they booked this segment. They would have had their biggest, like most successful year of all time. Yeah. You feel like one, two, three kid is as surprised as Razor Ramon. Yes. Not <laughs> oh my God. I cannot praise Waltman enough for all he does in this. Cause yes, he also is just absolutely perfect in his role. Bobby Hinn hits a, what is this? Like just surprised reaction. So nobody knows what's going on. And that 
This is one time it just hit me that the uncut, uncut, uncooked, uncensored actually feels like something that you could actually support rather than cringe at. <laughs> yes, it feels so unexpected. You really feel like you watched something that wasn't supposed to happen or something. You know, just like it, it went across the it went against like all the established principles and laws of every wrestling squash match you watched in the last 20 years. Like it can't happen. And it did. And it's exciting. It's great stuff. Now, just in case you think that the era is changing, we're going to follow this up with Tatanka versus Scott Taylor. <laughs> uh, that's Scotty Too Hotty, right? I'm pretty sure. It probably is. Uh, yeah. Actually, I, I would have known at one point, but I wouldn't. That sounds good enough. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Fair enough. This is such garbage. And Tatanka's, when did Tatanka and Bam Bam start this feud that they're having? I don't know. It's something now, so we're going to have to deal with that. That's um, it's about the least exciting thing I could think of on paper, maybe. So. And I think Bobby Heenan was slipped uh, Rob Bartlett's uh, topical raw stuff as he talks about a survey of what kind of toilet paper, how people use their toilet paper, you know. So raw, raw being topical again, hitting those, uh, hitting those big questions in America. Uh, can we just talk about for one moment how much better Raw is with Bobby Heenan in the commentary booth? I think that, that, that's a given. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, night and day. It's incredible to me they didn't want to use this guy, you know, on Raw in the first place. Like, what were they thinking? Tatanka calls out Bam Bam in the match. So I'm getting tired of these little random, uh, like, what? I don't, I don't know. Like, Tatanka's going on to wrestle Lex Luger, and he's calling out Bam Bam. Luger's doing stuff with Bob Backlund and Bret Hart. And it's just, this stuff is not coming together. It's kind of not. I mean, it sort of makes sense because King of the Ring matches are not necessarily meant to be, like, part of your feud. It's like, in the tournament, you, like, draw your opponent. So I kind of get it. But at the same time, you got all this TV time. Why not create some interest in the damn match that you're going to do? But no, instead, it's, like, anything but. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's like Brett will say later, like, you're not to Razor. You're not doing your homework. Like, I'm, I'm doing my homework on you. You're not doing your homework on me. <laughs> a lot of people not doing their homework on and off screen in the WWF. So it's funny. We can go from um, that segment with Sean and Jannetty and that song, that segment with uh, Razor and Waltman, and then straight to this. And, like, I don't know. I, I feel like we've said this before, but it's like, how is this in the same company? I feel like I was saying this in 91 when it was, like, half Hogan and Slaughter and then half, like, this brilliant stuff. So, I don't know, just such a mix of, like, some stuff exceptionally good and some stuff, like, like someone should be fired, probably, who, who dropped the ball here. Yeah, I think May or June is where Vince McMahon um, steps down from his title and Linda takes the title of, because he's not sure what's going to happen. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah. You know, and I think it shows in its own ways. Yeah, uh, somebody's still doing a good job, but some some places are not. And uh, see, that's the thing. I don't know if you can even blame it on this because I feel like, you know, Vince McMahon wasn't on trial when he booked like Zeus or whatever, you know, stupid mistakes he made. So I don't know if he really made more bad mistakes in this era than he did in any other, you know. So I don't know. I don't know if he's made more mistakes, but and I think this is just my bias. But my God, I feel like sometimes that this whole idea of role is a nervous breakdown <laughs> demonstrating <laughs> itself on screen. <laughs> it is a little strange. I'll give you that. 
Especially for Vince McMahon. Though. I get I get that his, what his sense of humor is, but like his idea of what WWF is always seems so prestigious. And now he's in New York, which he's obsessed with, and he's just creating this. I don't know. What do you compare what they're trying to do with Raw to? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's um later on they're gonna have a show what like Shotgun. Yeah, Shotgun Saturday night. Yeah, and that also will have like weird venues and weird stuff. That's the only thing that I could think of that it might be similar to. And that's the Vince Russo era too, though. It's getting up to it, yeah, for sure. So. Huh. So I get. I just don't. This is a, it's weird to me. I don't know what's going on here. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and right now, at least on this show, this is probably their best show, like you said, and probably by far, because I love what's coming next, to be honest with you. Sure, sure. There's there's other good stuff coming on this show. Just forget about the Tatanka match, and, you know, that this this is a great show. <laughs> yeah, I tried to. Like I said, like I am not the I am not a contrarian in that I want to argue. I hate arguing. But if I already know that the people I'm talking to are going to take one stance and I try to see is there anything that we're not covering. Mm. So, you know, like I've never liked Tatanka in my whole life. I, I have good reasons, especially with not when we get to 94. But <laughs> like when I first heard, like, oh, you don't like Tatanka at all, then it's like, OK, so is there anything about Tatanka? And so far, there's nothing about Tatanka. <laughs> He's on a zero right now for me. If someone can defend Tatanka with anything other than why well, I liked him when I was a kid, which, you know, fair enough. But fair defend anything else about him and I, i'm all ears because i don't have anything like the gimmick is blah uh the wrestling is like nothing there's nothing going on like his promos are like nothing his win streak is definitely nothing um so i don't know like persuade me i guess if you think you can but i am skeptical yeah i also love um bruce pritchard just completely destroys the lex luger tatanka match at King of the Ring and says, like, they have no chemistry, like, the match is not good. And fair enough, like, I haven't watched that stuff, and I'm not even looking forward to it. But then Lex Luger's biggest feud in 94 is going to be with Tatanka. So if a year ago you saw that they don't work well together, then you're going to make, like, the biggest feud that he's going to be in would be with Tatanka. Like, who whose problem is that? <laughs> yeah, who the hell chose to push Tatanka like this in the first place, you bunch of idiots? I mean, <laughs> come on, who did he have good chemistry with? You gotta yeah. stick Lex Luger in there with like your big dud guy who doesn't do well with anybody, and then be like, "Oh, he didn't do well with the guy that nobody does well with." Like, get over it, man! Like, how yeah. dumb can you be? And I think I love Joey Mags, so I'm not bringing Joey Mags down. But I think that Tatanka kind of has a Joey Mags build, and like Luger, like I told you before, Luger said the hardest person to rack was Joey Mags, and now you're gonna put him against another guy who's just like. He's so low to the earth, you can't do anything with Tatanka. And then, like, I don't believe Tatanka can do anything to Lex Luger, you know, like, believably. So, like, nothing that either of them does to each other is going to be great. Yeah, no, it's a bad matchup. Man, I would much rather see Jumpin' Joey Mags get a push than uh, Tatanka. I'll just say that. I would be before Joey Mags push any day of the week. <laughs> he might have been the first enhancement talent that I kind of recognize as more than that. So <laughs> old jumping Joey Mags and early WCW. Um, Barry Horowitz was close to that. Who else back then? I used to know more. There were quite a few more, but man, Iron Mike Sharp is always my favorite. Yeah, always. 
we thought just as much about them even as kids as we as we did everybody else like they were they were you know regular characters on the show and they mattered sure yeah there's some very uh recognizable jobbers through these years um which is another reason that there was so much pop for for one two three kid getting that win because he had been on you know a bunch of previous episodes he was getting to be one of these recognizable guys then suddenly you know the shock the 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 thing that nobody expected so that's great they'll they'll do it again with barry horowitz i think in a, a couple years you know not to the same effect but still like it'll mean something for sure yeah the barry horowitz win over skip is also very nice yeah exactly uh, yeah i think kid too these are things in life that you that you want to recognize it's almost like his build his body build is so anti-pro wrestler <laughs> that it comes back around and it gets him noticed. And I think that, you know, it does even more for him when he gets the victory. So, yeah. you know, you want to play, you know, you want to live in a world where whatever cards you have, you can play, you know, and by him going over Razor Ramon, it's a really big deal. And it makes a really, it makes a difference. I think it's iconic. It's going to lead to that Bret Hart kid match, which is iconic. Mm, so yeah. we're, we're talking about some historical stuff on Raw. And this might be the first time, since Raw started, that we're talking about historical stuff from Raw. <laughs> I think so. The only historical thing on Raw up to this point is that Raw existed. Um, yeah. You know, so now we're really getting into some of the good stuff. And like I said, I like what's next because it's Yokozuna and Kamala. And something that warmed my heart, I don't know if this is an agent, I don't know if it's Yokozuna, but... When Yokozuna and Kamala run into each other twice, Kamala gets the win. It's Yoko who staggered and almost falls. And it's a small thing, but it, it made me happy to see. <laughs> Part of me says Yokozuna staggers a little too easily. He might have been better off uh, thinking with his Andre brain and not staggering for, for you know, unless he was needed. But, uh, yeah, it's a nice – he plays it off about as well as he could, I think. So I got nothing but love for Yokozuna. Yeah, Yoko's back tilt off balance no fall is is as good as anybody's ever in the history of anything. Oh, absolutely. I will single it out as uh, being just elite level stuff. So this is a nice little matchup. Uh, Kamala gets a little bit of advantage as he should, mm. but we also know, like like we said with the Razor, it takes nothing off Yoko because uh, a little distraction from Fuji, a little super kick, a little bonsai drop, and you know. Kamala's not going to get up from that because Yokozuna is a beast and he's rolling through 1993 and he's about to become a dominant world champion. And there's only a bag of bones standing between him and the world title. And what do you think is going to shake out there? Uh, was Slick out there with Kamala? Sadly, no. No. So we could have had Slick against Fuji. And man, Yokozuna really could have been in trouble then if Slick was out there. I'll just say that. So. Yeah, that would have been fun. <laughs> Oh, well. Does Yokozuna get to hang out in that clubhouse of, of weird gimmicks with Kamala and some of these other guys? He could. Yeah. I think he wouldn't live there, but I think he could visit. So You look at facial. That's the thing I'm looking for a lot of times. If you want to see how smart Yoko is, if you want to see how much of a character he could be, watch the faces that he makes during a match. Yeah. yeah. He's telling you so much in his face, and that might sound like nothing, but there's a lot of wrestlers who don't do that. Very true. Do you think – I'm not as familiar with Yokozuna uh, in this way as maybe I should be, so maybe I'm off base. But I got to wonder, maybe I'll ask you, would Yokozuna 
have been more successful in the end if he had been allowed to talk and kind of like be a person who could communicate. In the right era, a million percent, yes. Okay, that's a fair point because era is important. Because some eras too, when he talks, it's just going to be like, oh, he talked, and then all of a sudden he talks like he's never talked, like you know, like it never, he no, he never didn't. Right, right. But like if you did it, this is everything, and this is where I give credit to AEW, um, and I give credit to wrestling now versus wrestling then. Mm-hmm. There's some nuances that are done a lot better. It's not even, I don't think the old eras couldn't do it or wouldn't know how to do it, but it just wasn't in the formula. And so I think there's a lot, cause you're going to get Yoko. He's going to get so big that I don't think wrestling could be what he did, but like, you know, he, he's going to be a tag wrestler. Then he's going to get a beard. I think he's going to be a baby face. And I think my idea is that any heel that the fans end up liking just cause they've been around long enough, you can do anything with them. Like, yeah. Because if I started liking you when I wasn't supposed to, then I, I want a relationship with you. I want to see you do something interesting or curious or out of the box. Mm. And so, like, it, it would need to be something. Is Yoko really funny? Is he really observant? Is he really smart? Like, it needs to be that he starts talking, but he also has these really cool insights, like, however you want to take it, <laughs> you know. So if you did something cool with it, I think it could it could really take off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's certainly a lot of possibilities there. We'll have to watch him. To see what comes, what um, what nuances do you mean in modern wrestling? You mean like, like the same thing I said about Elegante. Like I think it's like the Orange Cassidy thing. It's like mm-hmm. um, almost everybody in AEW. But what like th- I think these days it's a lot easier to say this person's never going to be the greatest wrestler that we're going to have. Mm-hmm. But they can do something entirely different, and we can keep them around just off of that. So when Yoko gets too big to wrestle, I feel like like either he would be an announcer, or he would be a manager, or he would just have really cool insights. Or Ron Simmons in the, in the attitude, post-attitude era when he just comes out and says, damn. Like, you know, <laughs> you find sure. a way to keep people around, and it, yeah. they don't have to be the greatest, like, the greatest wrestler. Like, the absurdity that... WCW has a man who's seven feet, seven inches, but he can't wrestle, so there's nothing to do with him. You know, you find a way to do something with people. Like, Sting is 62, 63, and, like, who the hell would have thought he'd be hanging out with Darby Allen? Darby Allen's a loner. Darby Allen wants nothing to do with anybody. Who the hell would have thought he'd be hanging out with Sting? But you do these things that are nuanced and curious and a little bit different, and, you know— that by itself can get you so over that the other stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's a great point. And a lot of it is in the execution, too. When Sting met up with Darby, I was very much against it. And yet, because it's been executed well, uh, it's come off very well. You mentioned Orange Cassidy, um, who I do think is a very good wrestler. But still, how did he first get over? Not by wrestling, just by like doing his shtick at ringside and like not even ever getting in the ring or even like moving energetically. He was already very over before he even like took one step in the ring. So there's a lot to be said for that. Like look for those nuances, look for the things that are unexpected. And when somebody's popular, yeah, do something with them. So I, I think I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, because like Yoko's going. I understand, like, Yoko needs to lose weight, and if he doesn't lose weight, like, his health becomes such an issue that you can't do nothing. Yeah. But there's a seg- there's a segment of time in between his being world champion and his being so heavy that, like, he, he has to go home. Right. That 
you could just give him something fun, and I don't know what it is because, like you said, it's in the execution. But you have the execution, and then you have a thing, and he does the thing, and maybe he can get himself in better shape while he's doing the thing that isn't wrestling intensive, and he can still make money and still be on shows. Mm, absolutely. And let's never gloss over the fact that, uh, by all accounts, the WWF is the one who asked him to gain, like, as much weight as he could in the first place. Which, God, watch him in 93. Who can, who can think, oh, this guy needs to be fatter? Like, he's plenty fat. <laughs> you know, he's a huge guy. He could do all these things. God, whoever did that, whoever came with that idea should be slapped in the face, I think. Cause that, ugh. And not just because of the way it turned out, which is tragic, but just to even have that thought is like, Jesus, calm down. Like, that's too much. Yeah. And somewhere we're told that he's gaining weight for King of the Ring. And then Vince Man says, and Hulk Hogan's going the other way. He is slimming down for the... Uh... <laughs> yep. He's got to lose some of that bone weight before he gets there. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. I can't wait till he gets the leg dropped and carried out. It's time to go. It is. I don't know. I I don't remember enjoying it as much as I maybe thought I would, but that was a while ago, so we'll see it again, and uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Meanwhile, we are to our main event here on Raw. The IC title is on the line. Shawn Michaels versus Marty Jannetty. Yeah, and even though, like, these two always had a really good match, I think, when maybe you'd think they could have had a great match at some point. I don't know if they ever did, but, like, this is quite a good match. The crowd is super hot for it, probably as hot for anything as we've seen on Raw. And uh, it's it's very well done, I think. I did enjoy this. I think this match is beautiful. I think the energy is very, very high. Yeah. Marty Jannetty looks like a member of Strike Force instead of a rocker. He's looking so good in this match. <laughs> That's saying a lot, but I won't disagree with you. Marty Jannetty is looking very excellent in this match. Yeah. And then here's the line that I mentioned earlier in the show. Bobby Heenan says, just like Yoko and Hulk Hogan, we have another match that wasn't sanctioned. And then Vince McMahon <laughs> says, wait a minute, this is sanctioned. <laughs> Meaning that, uh, you know, this Meaning that different. Hogan and Yoko was not sanctioned. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you just outed yourself, Vince McMahon. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Like, what the hell? I don't even know what the intention or if he didn't know what he said. But, like, it's the factual truth, and it was just admitted. Like, take the belt off that man. Hey, can he carry the belt? I haven't seen him with the belt, so I don't know if Brutus has it, Hogan has it, or or Jimmy Hart has it. But I can't see it. Like, I don't, don't throw it on those bones and the bone. I don't want to see him picking up his bones and putting them back together. That's that is beyond the the rating of our show right now. That's too much. I just want everyone to quickly acknowledge and be thankful that I did not include any Hulk Hogan segments on this show because, my God. Every segment is the same. He's on the beach. He's skinny. He's with Beefcake and Jimmy Hart. and They're all squealing together in their little way. They're talking about, oh, Yokozuna, he's a big stinker. And, oh, let's ride our motorcycles around. And we're going to, you know, ride our motorcycle over Yokozuna and drag him around. And, oh, by the way, did we mention he's Stinkozuna? And, like, uh. it's just the most, like, Oh, you could get cancer from watching these segments. So just everyone be thankful that I did not put them on this set. I'm, in that context, I am very thankful. Uh, <laughs> maybe with part-time wrestlers, this isn't true, but is Hulk Hogan the first WWF champion or the only WWF champion who also was not in the WWF? <laughs> I don't know if he actually, he, I don't think he appeared in person one time on TV while champion. And that's yeah, shocking. Yeah. 
It was pretty much a deal like you're going to work the house shows overseas and you'll be the world champion, which is a strange deal that we've already mentioned. And then listening to something to Russell, like Hulk Hogan in Winnipeg and then Hulk Hogan somewhere else did like 3,000 fans. Yeah, not even drawing well. And why would it? Like, look at the guy, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, quite a deal. I guess maybe he did so much for Vince that he sneaked one by. But like, this is it. He he contributes nothing in his run. Like, this is it's a zero. It's a Tatanka zero is what he contributes, and he's know. on his way out. And my God, I thought it then, and I almost think it now. Like, he will never wrestle again after this. <laughs> You could be forgiven for thinking so. Um, it, Me? Yeah. I was just going to say, you look at the history of Hulk Hogan and the incredible success he had, and you could almost imagine Vince's mindset of, like, even Hulk Hogan at, like, you know, 30% is probably better than anything I have on tap right now. I don't agree with that, but you can almost see the mindset. But then you just look at the way this run went, and my God, like, yeah, it's just, uh, it's shocking. There's really no question of why it went so poorly. I would obviously rather see something else, but I would never say Vince McMahon should not have done it. Like, I could say, oh, I wouldn't do it. But, like, I, I don't know how much he thought that those house shows were going to draw. I don't know what kind of money he needed. I don't know any of that. So yeah. I get the idea. I think that I would hope. And I guess if Hogan didn't go to WCW, maybe he would have done it again, and then I would have a different critique. But what you may be hoping or desperation that Hogan can do before you see this should be different than what you ever think again after Hogan did this. <laughs> right, yeah. Certainly you would hope you wouldn't make the same mistake again. Man, it's just... It's so frustrating. Excuse me, I had Vince McMahon, for all his flaws... When he got the company, he basically took Hulk Hogan, who was popular but had never been a world champion, and was like, we're just going to run with this guy. And, you know, the equivalent of what he's doing in 93 is if he came in and was like, let's make Billy Graham champion, you know, mm, he'll just be yeah. champion, like, forever. <laughs> and, you know, if he had done that, he would have killed his own company. So here he is making the making stupid mistakes that he would not have made, 10 years ago. So you got to say it reflects badly on Vince at some point. Yeah. We're getting close to the Hogan that we got is like, why is Hogan world champion and Bob Backlund weird for wrestling? Cause I don't see the difference except that Bob Backlund's in better shape. Yes. Much better shape. So it's, uh, it's absurd. It's just not good. Yeah. So like I said, though, this matchup to me is amazing. Good energy. Marty Janae looks as good as he's ever going to look in his life. Shawn Michaels tries to walk away because he's just so overwhelmed. Mr. Perfect meets him at the curtain, walks him back. And it is in a way like Shawn Michaels is wrestling the Rockers. So like he's seeing every bit of his past <laughs> and the past is dominating him. So it's not good to be Shawn Michaels right now. Bobby Heenan has been saying it all night like you're like you're walking yourself into something. Bobby Heenan knows when a heel is walking themselves into a trap. Um, Michaels is finally going to hit Sweet Chin Music, though, and kind of kind of maybe after all that he endures, you know, have the upper hand, but he gets on the rope. He starts jawing at Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect throws a towel in his face and knocks Michaels back. Marty Jannetty gets a roll-up. The crowd pops big, and we have a new IC champion. I don't think you can say enough about Mr. Perfect's 
incredible accuracy with that towel. I think you could hit like a bullseye from a hundred yards away with a towel. So the way he chucks it into Sean's face, it couldn't have been more like it just perfectly slaps onto his face. That's the whole gimmick, man. That's how he got to get like, when Vince asked, like, oh, what else do you like other than wrestling? It's pretty much, I'm good at every sport. I do everything perfectly, you know. And so he, he he's living the either. gimmick. Well. <laughs> uh, have you seen the one? Um, uh, it's Prince Perfect and, like, Mr. Hughes. It's like a clip of Mr. Perfect will, like, throw the towel without looking, and it will just, like, slap perfectly on Mr. Hughes' shoulder and lie there motionless like like it had never moved from that spot. You know I haven't, but that's awesome. Uh, it's so good. That one and the one also where he like throws it behind his back. They're walking down the aisle, and Bobby Heenan catches it like yes. perfectly. It just, oh, Mr. Perfect and his towel, man. That's an amazing accessory. I think Bobby Heenan will say, I, t- I taught him that several <laughs> times. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, Bobby Heenan, his, uh, his deal with Mr. Perfect will hang on bitterly. And I love that. I really appreciate that. Bobby Heenan he's really at the tail end of what he gets to actually like be a character. And, um, man, it's just gone too soon. So I'm glad he can hang on to this stuff. Yes. 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 It's great stuff. That is by far the most consequential and best role. I think that we've seen in, in this run so far. So mm-hmm. I think if you're going to check out a role, that's the one to check out. Yes, very much so. Uh, we're going now to, we got a couple more segments, uh, one segment and a couple of matches. Um, May 24th, 1993, we got a Razor Ramon promo, and he's in the shadow, kind of this this whole thing. And they're like, don't say one, two, three. The fans will start chanting that if you do. So <laughs> uh, we're definitely trying to build something here. <laughs> and it works. The fans, yeah. uh, they will be chanting one, two, three at Razor Ramon more than a few times here. Razor Ramon saying, yo, stick man, is the most Razor Ramon thing that's ever been said in the <laughs> history of Razor Ramon. <laughs> It's incredible, and again, it's praise to Razor Ramon because you know that he thought of that. Nobody yes. said that to him. That is so him. This is so good. And then uh, Bret Hart's going to come out, and it's just like this weird world that we live in. That six months, five months ago, they were wrestling for the world title at Royal Rumble, you know, and yet it almost feels like they've never seen each other. <laughs> I don't know. Absolutely. Both have changed a lot in that time. I feel like Bret Hart is becoming a person again, which he was not – as a champion and razor like he's on a whole different track now um they are first round opponents at king of the ring uh brett is making fun of him he is in his head and this is great like what you skimmed over is that razor ramon is offering money so that sean waltman will come wrestle him again and we yeah. talked before about like embarrassment in wrestling and how incredibly powerful it can be and man the fact that a guy like razor ramon and he's still cocky, but, like, he's willing to put up his own money to try to, like, overturn this embarrassment that he had. Like, something about that really grabs me, man. Man, like, eight months ago, the machismo thing was so big that you felt like he would lose face if he lost the macho madness, you know. And now he's losing to the one, two, three kid. So oh. it makes sense. Like, I expect that this is how he'll behave. Like, I'd like to see him behave like this. Bret Hart comes out like the old scold or the old nag that he is, and is like, you're not doing your homework. You didn't study last night. And uh, he calls one, two, three, kid one of the bottom guys, which is, okay, cool, Brett. <laughs> I but mean, he, he is, though. So yeah, he is. In fairness. 
And he well, says, you're going to be Owen, beat one, two, exactly. three at King of the Ring. And the fans didn't get all, get didn't get with him quick enough, but he tried. <laughs> he tried, for sure. I was going to say, See, this one. Go ahead. in Brett's mind, you think, uh, who's lower, one, two, three kid or Owen Hart in Brett's mind? Oh, definitely Owen, because <laughs> he referenced the one, two, three kid on camera. That's so. true, yes. He will never speak Owen's name so far. So Yeah, I think even when the Owen thing happened, he's like, I've had to take care of my brothers, you know, so he didn't even like, you know, how's Owen doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is really good, though. This is what I mean by you can also build the King of the Ring feuds, even if they're not in feuds, because yes. Razor's in a program with kids, but now Bret Hart's a part of it. And we're setting up, man. Bret Hart might not like it because like, he wanted a bigger – push and maybe that's what he should have had because he was world champion but man he he's about to have the best night i feel like that his character can have because again bigger to me than beating hulk hogan or making the ultimate warrior give up is the more he does anti hulk hogan anti 80 stuff the more he is solidifying himself as the future of this company yeah i mean having a work rate night in a big tournament uh, is certainly something that hogan and warrior Never did. No. Um, what Brett will do in some ways is kind of like what we hoped Savage would do at WrestleMania 4 that didn't mm-hmm. quite pan out the way. And it, it's a little bit of a different flavor, but Bret Hart will wrestle three incredible matches in one night. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that and for what Brett brings to the table. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to talking about that because I always want to like the one night tournament. And usually when I see it, I realize why they don't do it. <laughs> So we'll see. We'll see if it's one of the good ones. As we move to Mr. Perfect and Doink, I do want to let the world know that Adam Bomb and Johnny Polo are also running around this show. <laughs> I, I didn't want to inflict Adam Bomb on anybody more than I had right. to. Uh, I actually don't mind it, but the gimmick is just so new gen in the worst way. Uh, but yes, Johnny Polo, a.k.a. Raven, is around, and we're going to see him a few times I can't wait for him to be getting with the Quebecers. That that's a very fun run. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, Johnny Polo, so he'll be oh. fun to fun to follow. And then Lord Alfred Hayes is with Doink, and I thought, man, Lord Alfred Hayes could be one of the Doinks. <laughs> <laughs> he very nearly is. I said, it's, what? <sighs> it's like everything Rob Bartlett did over the past like few months. Like they should just let Alfred Hayes do. I'll just say that yeah. he wouldn't have done it so stupidly. So. They don't want anybody from the past era. And then the past era, they're so good they can come onto a show that's completely unlike them and do a good job. Right. He's another one who, like, shouldn't be allowed on Raw, but he will do a great job always. The controversy is that Doink is already in the building when Doink runs into Lord Alfred Hayes outside the building. (laughs) The two Doinks, yes. Doink will enter the ring and crawl under the ring and also be talking to Lord Alfred Hayes outside. That's the power of Doink. This is also the third... Mr. Perfect versus Doink qualifying matchup. Yes, they've had uh, two that both went to a draw on uh, other TV programs, and those are very fun as well. But this, I think, is the best one. And I had to put a match with two of the most uh, over and successful characters of this era on this uh, set. So I'm glad we get to check this one out. Yeah, I believe these two had a history together pre-WWF. So a, a combination of that and the fact that both are so good. Um, I think they just wanted to, like, you know, highlight it. And at least a little bit of what Pritchard and um, Conrad were saying was that Perfect also still had ring rust for a while. Like, they weren't sure how, you know, 
how how can he can he go the distance? And they're trying to build you know this Bret Hart uh, perfect matchup. So mm-hmm. we're trying to get some really some people who are going to make perfect work, I think, and try to get make sure he's right where he needs to be for King of the Ring. Absolutely, I think I think that's the final uh, perfect and Bret. Or is it per- Brett and Bigelow? I don't know. Something I feel like it might be Bigelow, but I haven't watched it in uh, forever. Right, right. It definitely, they're going to be one of the upper tier uh, matches in the um, the flow. And uh, in terms of quality, yeah, I can't wait for it, as I've said. Somebody's going to get a buy because of Luger and Tatanka, but we'll see about that. <laughs> God. That night's going to depress me. It's a good, it's a good uh, lead into SummerSlam. <laughs> for it to be depressing. All right, good. I wanted to order that. I never wanted to order WWF pay-per-views, but like we were watching, I think they had some kind of preview of King of the Ring right before it came on. Yeah. Probably, I don't even know if it was even on cable or it was on like a pay-per-view channel. Yeah. But I, I just got this feeling like Luger might win King of the Ring, so I started running around trying to get it ordered, but like <laughs> we did, we were not successful, and I, I'm actually thankful we weren't because I would have had a bad night. Yeah, it would have been very disappointing. Oh my gosh. Poor little mystic, man. I feel bad for this kid sometimes. I want to, like, go back and uh, tell him in 2021 Luger will be much more appreciated or something. So, Yeah, it's tough because uh, when I think about it, I always had a reason. You know, that, I think that's the worst part. If I was just, like, some ignorant kid or some naive kid, but, like, Lex Luger has an undefeated streak, you know, at this point. So right. it's not nothing to think that he might win it. And also he's in a program with Bret Hart. So, and they're not wrestling in the first round. So like, there's all these reasons in my head that like, at least he's getting towards the end of it, if not winning it. <laughs> now nah, he's gonna, he's gonna go out with Tatanka in the first round. Uh, there's nothing like being a new fan and think of everything that could be. And, uh, you know, when you get a little older, more savvy, you kind of know what will be and what won't be. But man, that feeling like it's special, even if it disappoints you sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is good stuff, man. This doink and perfect. I feel like we don't have to say that this is going to be a good match. Yeah, it's a great match, I think. Uh, for for a TV Raw match, it's one of the best that we've seen. Um, I don't know. Maybe Raw's hitting its stride a bit because we're definitely seeing, I think, more good stuff on Raw than we were early on. I think one thing to pay attention to with heels who does Bobby Heenan like? And Bobby Heenan loves Shawn Michaels the minute he turns heel. Bobby Heenan loves Doink. Yep. So you kind of know who's got talent. And I think Bobby Heenan does as much to put Doink over as Doink does. And we can talk about the match, but when they have the, like, the, eventually Doink, of course, is going to go under the ring and we're going to get the other Doink. And the first Doink's whole makeup is gone. The second Doink has fresh makeup. <laughs> Number one, they're like, there's two doinks. You know, one's under the ring and the new one's out. And Bobby Heenan says, I only see one doink. How many do you see? And, like, yeah, the answer is one, of course. And then he's like, oh, that's resyllable makeup. It comes and goes, and then it comes back again. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, Bobby Heenan, man, if he could have kept putting together Heenan families, even after he retired, like, you got a thick doink, could have had a spot in one of oh, those. Oh, my gosh, that would be so good. <laughs> And we'll, we'll, like I said, we can say more, but Perfect's going to win with the perfect place. And Bobby Heenan's like, there's only one doink in the perfect place. And he's like, he beat the wrong doink. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, my God. It's so good. Like, it's whatever it's whatever will uh, favor Bobby Heenan in the moment. And um, it's great because he's so earnest about it also. That's yeah. the thing I was saying earlier. Like, even though he just totally switched his position – 
Like, there's this, uh, like, heartfelt aspect of it that really puts it over. Ernest is such a good... And that's the thing. This is why there might not be anything like that 80s era, because yeah. Ernest to the heels is Weasel to the baby faces. <laughs> and, like, Weasel's the opposite of Ernest, and yet both are always true, depending on how you want. It's always about perspective in that era. So, like, I, I also see Bobby. There's a few times where I see the Weasel, but a lot of times... When people say weasel, I see Ernest Bobby Heenan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can call him a weasel, but uh, he is as heartfelt as any woodland creature, so I'll, I'll, I'll give him <laughs> praise. This is a great way, I think, for Perfect to go in. And it's also, again, it kind of mirrors real life where Bret Hart is just going, although Bret's very upset with his push, like Perfect's more upset. Like Perfect's upset with his push kind of compared to Bret Hart's push. <laughs> and Bret Hart's going in. He got a buy and doesn't even have to wrestle to get in. And Mr. Perfect had to wrestle three times to get in. So these two, uh, their careers are circling each other in interesting ways year in and year out. So I'm, I think that might be the match I'm most looking forward to from King of the Ring. Do you think there's one person in this company who is happy with their push at this time? Probably Luger. He probably doesn't care. <laughs> Well, he's just kind of generally amenable to whatever he's told to do, so that's fair. But, like, Brett and Perfect, they're doing their thing. Undertaker has to wrestle uh, John Gonzalez again. He hates that. Yeah. We know that. Uh, Yokozuna had to put over Mr. Bag of Bones. Mr. Bag of Bones doesn't even want to be in wrestling, so he's not happy. Um, I don't know if anyone's really happy with their push right now. Man, that's so beautiful. And that's <laughs> when you are on trial and your promotion – is losing money and like, it's, a, it's a good time for nobody to be happy and everything just compounds on itself i, I gotta feel like it's not a nice time to be around that locker room probably not there's probably a lot of dissatisfaction you know and you got like we'll savage talk. who is stuck in the booth he's not happy either so geez yeah savage is not happy and who wants an unhappy savage around right right who would want that oh man you're right that's this is a tough time and we'll, we'll get into that because there's some backstage antics that we'll get into next week at King of the Ring. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. Okay. Some uh, some interesting stuff going on. This is a really great match, though. I think uh, if you have time, everyone should take time to check this match out. Uh, it's very technical. It's smart. There's some, some great struggle, some great selling. Um, and, yeah, the, the fun bits with the character as well. I think they work very well, so this is very good stuff. There's some hard hitting at times too. I think uh, Matt yeah. Bourne will make you feel you feel the matchup at times. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I actually didn't know these two had history, but uh, I feel like it makes sense for the way they worked with each other. They worked with each other great here. Absolutely, it's a hard earned. Again, I think I'm going. I think I'm pulling for perfect to win King of the Ring, and <laughs> I definitely was not feeling that in '93. I definitely would have been at the time. I love Mr. Perfect, so uh, I'm all about it. We'll see what goes down. We got one more matchup. It's uh, May 31st. It is the new IC champion, Marty Jannetty, defending against Bam Bam Bigelow. And Marty is with uh, Sherry again, so this uh, has come full circle, I guess. And Tatanka is somehow connected, too. <laughs> and Luna's well, with Bigelow. That's what I'm probably most excited about, because, uh, I don't know, I feel like somehow Luna elevates Bigelow, and somehow, like, their look goes together well, and just... Oh, there's something more with Bigelow, I feel like, when Luna's there. Yeah, I saw him do a promo at the end of one show talking about he's never going to have problems with Sherry again. Like, he's got the insurance. That's what Luna's for. And 
He actually was doing a good promo, so I think I could like Bam Bam more maybe too if he talks instead of just oh mean Bam Bam's out to have a match and headbutt people. <laughs> yeah, he always pulls that face, which is not compelling to me. But yeah, he, he can have his moments as we have touched on before. Um, Luna and Sherry are fighting again at the start of this one, and man, they are just so physical with each other. Like they are, we're gonna see a lot of quote unquote cat fights where. They just kind of fall on the mat and sort of, like, wiggle each other around. But these two are just, like, they're trying to beat the piss out of each other. Yeah, these are these are two different. Uh, this is a different breed. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm not surprised. The thing I am surprised, Marty Jannetty's, like I said, in a slightly different shape. And this is just the best Marty Jannetty. Like, he gets yeah. backdropped and spins around in the air and lands on his feet. And it's just he's doing all kind of stuff that just feels undoable. And I feel like we've got peak Marty Jannetty right now. Yeah, I mean, this match, on paper, I probably wouldn't have put it on, but I had a, a memory that this match actually really exceeded my expectations. So there's some very good stuff in this one, I think. Yeah, Marty looks great. He makes Bam Bam's one of the better Bam Bam matches so far. It ends up being a count-out because Sherry's a little bit smarter than Mr. Bam Bam Bigelow. She leaves him talking to her on the floor. We get a count-out. And then, like you said, the Luna, the Luna-Sherry thing picks up again. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, so uh, it, it's a very fun match. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, I thought the ending was um, uh, maybe a little lame, but uh, still, like, the action, you really are correct that I think this is maybe Marty Jannetty's best run. I don't know if this is the run that lasts a while. Like, he'll be in, like, a, a different rocker team eventually. I think he'll team with one, two, three kid. He'll do this and that, so he'll be around like on and off for a while. But this is probably the best that he's going to do here. Absolutely, man. It looks good. It makes me hopeful for him, but you know, it's not going to last. Like I said, the biggest compliment. He looked more strike force than rockers for a little bit. <laughs> ah, strike force. They should uh, be recognized more as being a great team. Did you know that Tito Santana once won the King of the Ring last defeating Rick Martel? I did not know that. That's exciting. There are so many, like, secret King of the Ring events that I'm just not familiar with. I would love to see some of them, but I don't even know if they're on tape. I love that fact, though. That's incredible. Yeah. That's a great man. I, uh, it's sometimes it's hard to think about the past. <laughs> that it is. Well, that's all the past we have to talk about, actually. So uh, we do have some time left. I don't know if you've been keeping up on your uh, AEW watching. We can talk about the present instead of the past, if you want. I saw Dynamite. Okay, okay. I know you, I knew that because you texted me about Omega Danielson, uh, which I also watched. And I also thought was uh, just superb. What you're saying about Danielson being a transcendent wrestler, I think, is right on point. Yeah, I don't know what it is. When you've got it, you've got it. But, like, Danielson is just, like, digging down, trying to find the energy. He's just going to start kicking Omega, and you can see that in a lot of matches. But while he's digging down, I'm like, I want to live a better life. I want to be a better human being. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell's going on? It's just, it's just Daniel uh, Daniel Bryanson, like, doing his thing. And that is the best matchup I've watched in years. Uh, the fan, the energy of the crowd, he got the best out of Omega they complimented each other, but I don't know if their next match will be as good or not. Because one thing I thought about when you when you watched, showed me some of those Kenny Omega matches sure. in Japan, 
it was like the last 15 minutes that made it like a six and a half star for Meltzer made it like a two star for me. It's like if they wouldn't do so much. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because this is the draw that's going to lead to the match where they do so much. But this match was so well reasoned, so well paced, so well fought. That raised ramp was in the building by God. Yeah. Uh, the fans were lit. Like the first 45 minutes felt like WCW in 1997 or like peak Austin type stuff. Like the fans did not stop screaming at the top of their lungs for at least 45 minutes. <laughs> As folks, you would never see such a long match in those eras, but yeah, energy wise, I agree. The pop they got just for their first lockup. Oh my mm. God. Yeah. Like it was an incredible match. I've said many times. I also am not really a fan of Omega, but I thought he stepped up and yeah, Danielson, man, it's hard to articulate what it factor is, but he has got it. And you're right. He does things in the ring physically that other people can do probably, but just something about him, man. He's above and beyond. Uh, I watch a lot of modern wrestling, as everybody knows, but I, I got to say, I don't think I've seen a better match this year than Danielson and Omega. And I did not expect you saying that about an Omega match. So the energy, the way they worked it, man, it was great. And you're right. It was not like, because I also feel like there's an aspect of too much with Omega at times, but this was just like, they just battered the hell out of each other, you know? Yeah. You look at Brian at his chest and at his head and just like, whew, that match was special. That was something else, I thought. It was desperate. And to me, if they really wanted to get the best out of Daniel Bryanson, make him almost like the dad in the promotion that, like, the, 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 um, the dad who was a disciplinarian, the dad who said that. <laughs> Like when I look at the Young Bucks and I look at Kenny Omega and they dress like this and they talk like this, all I see is insecurity. You know, <laughs> I would love to see someone who sees through all of that stuff and makes them behave like Kenny Omega had to behave in that match because nobody else is calling that out of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the first things Danielson said. It was a great line, and I feel like he's already like moving forward with it. You know, we got all these people; they're acting weird and inappropriate insecure and yeah daddy Danielson's gonna come and he's gonna maybe teach you something about the way you're acting it's perfect because i think cm punk may have nodded that he's not gonna be like this forever but right now cm punk is coming in as the loving parent who wants to be everybody's friend so daniel <laughs> bryan's coming in with and being like go get me the switch out of the yard <laughs> and like, yeah so we got two different uh, ways of approaching it and so it balances each other out nicely it really does. Like, I wouldn't have expected it to go exactly this way, but it's coming off very well. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you bring it at the same time, and, like, maybe it's too much, but they're doing such different things that, like, I don't know. I feel like it's been a very seamless integration. Yeah, that makes no sense. They're not even in the same angle, so I don't know how that could even be a thing. Because, <laughs> like, that's what I mean by 45 minutes, Dave. We had the match, and then CM Punk was next, and CM Punk was just as, like, over, of course, as the matchup. So it's mm. just like... Yeah. That thing stayed at, at an ungodly, or maybe, maybe say a godly level for 45 <laughs> minutes, just that energy. Yeah, the whole show was very hot, like incredibly so. More than 20,000 fans, biggest crowd in uh, in the U.S. since, uh, what, WCW in 98, 99, something like that. So it was well-deserved. They really delivered something special, I think. And definitely better than Sting matches, but... Um, at the same time, it reminded me a little bit of 92. That My favorite Sting stuff, I think, when he's wrestling Vader and Cactus Jack. Yeah. 
they would use the raised ramp like it was part of the ring. Yes. Oh. And Omega and Brian did that. And my God, it was beautiful. They did a wonderful job with the, the raised ramp. We praise the raised ramp more highly than maybe any wrestler on this whole show. Yeah. And, you know, it's just such a fun set piece. It's incredible. And I love that it's kind of uh, made some comebacks with AEW. They like to bust it out uh, quite a few times. The fans are always going to react like that for that match at that time, and it's going to be a good match, but at least 10% of it falls off without that raised ramp. <laughs> I like that, yeah. The raised ramp is special. It's, it's not replaceable. It, it adds something uh, that you can't get another way. I, man, it was so good. Uh, I think uh, that energy, I, I'm looking forward to, Rampage just comes on too late at night for someone my age and with my <laughs> responsibilities, but I am looking forward to uh, watching Punk versus Hobbs when I get a chance. Yeah, I did have a chance to see that, so I don't spoil anything, but uh, it's a very fun show. You know, I, Dynamite was hotter, which you, you would expect, um, but uh, there, there's there's a lot of fun stuff on that show, so I hope you get a chance to check it out soon. Yeah, so um, where are we going next with uh, AEW? Where are we going next? I've been thinking about Grand Slam so long, and uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. They got more uh, cities booked. Nothing uh, so huge. I think in November, uh, early November, they have their full gear pay per view, so I'm sure they're going to be putting that together. Uh, very shortly here because that's yeah it's coming up it's almost october as we record this so we're, we're gonna be a lot closer by the time this airs i thought pillman did a better job of being believable with his offense and his match so i was happy to see that i thought um i liked everything basically on on dynamite um but uh mjf and pillman I don't know. I think some people were not as excited about it. I understand it's not like a flashy match, but man, I thought it was so character driven in a good way. And a lot of that's MJF, of course, but Pillman also did a good job. He's not a guy I really go crazy for, but uh, he played his role pretty well, I thought. Yeah, I thought he rose to the occasion and do his job in the match, which yeah. I thought if he hit 25, 30%, MJF could do the rest. <laughs> that's basically what happened, I think, you know, so. God, I, you, I really How do you feel about the main that. event? I know you're a big uh, Ruby Soho fan. Oh, I had a great time with it. I think by that time, maybe the crowd was a little more burned out. I don't know if that helped the match, but I had a lot of fun with it. I do think Ruby Soho uh, is one of their best pickups that they've made, and Britt Baker, I, I really just praise her for the incredible improvement she's made to the point where she's kind of carrying the women's division. So uh, I give a lot of credit to that match. I thought it was uh, extremely fun. I had a good time with it. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. To me, I don't know what it is about Britt Baker. I don't know if it's the gimmick or the person, but there's such a professionalism. I feel like it's someone you can put. It's the compliment I always give Bret Hart that, like, whether he's my favorite or not, like, I understand why you give him the ball because he acts like he wants to run with it and, you know, he takes it very seriously. Mm. And I get that vibe with her as well. Absolutely, and I'm sure I've said this before, but the difference from now to when she first came in as, like, a baby face and just, like, oh, she was the worst thing on the show, I thought, then. This heel turn, this character, like, embracing uh, everything about, like, what she is now has just been so wonderful. So I, I will always give special praise to someone who went from kind of a low place to a high place just through, like, doing good work. So th there's a lot to be said in favor of Britt Baker. 
I don't remember what match they advertised for next week, but it was not one I was really interested in. So I'm curious to see what they're doing because this will be the first week that I'm not looking forward to something. So we'll see what we'll see what comes. I'm still going to try to see Dynamite, see if it can keep my attention. But I only remember I know one match flashed on the screen, but I can't remember what it was. The only match I can think of they're advertising is uh, Miro versus Sammy Guevara, which I'm very excited about actually. So yeah, that might be it. Okay, fair enough. Know. Maybe it'll grab you more than you think. I don't of. dislike either, but I don't necessarily like either yet at the same time. Fair enough. I imagine you can't have seen too much of them, so maybe one or both might grab you. I feel like you could be a big Miro guy, maybe, as time moves on, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what he does. Um, looking forward to seeing what the pay-per-view is like. Again, I think the big question that we say every week is, what are we doing? How do we get the Adam Page, or do we get the Adam Page? You know, <laughs> are we going full gear? Full gear? Will that be Omega? I guess we'll see the the fallout from the matchup uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, I know what else there was. Like this guy Cody Rhodes. What? <laughs> I that man. He breaks my heart. I don't even think he can break my heart anymore. But he breaks my heart. Not a fan of uh, all his stuff that he was doing. <laughs> I don't think anybody is. Like he went from getting <laughs> cheered until uh, Brandy just jumped in the ring and did her thing. I think Brandy turned the whole crowd, and that made me a little happy with the world that we live in, which doesn't usually happen. But you know, it went from they were cheering him when it started, and then it, it flipped like almost a hundred to zero. Yeah, very anti uh, Cody crowd uh, as the match went on, certainly. And um, I don't know. I didn't. Uh, I enjoy Cody Rhodes. I think he's had a very weak year, as I think I may have said before. I, I, I really have to think, at this point, they're eyeing a, a heel turn in the near future, because he's already there with a lot of the fans. And just from his attitude, and like he's over the top, he's a little bit heelish in the match, and just, uh, I don't know, I think it would do a lot of good things for him. What does it say? So then Adam Page would be the only real member of that little clique that would still be babyface, right? I was thinking there could be a lot to say if Cody throws back in with the elite to get over Malachi Black, and I, you know, they might as well turn him around as well. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think there could be a lot to say with that. I just don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because Cody, right, wrestling is not really his thing, and he's just trying to use it for other things, or if he has some kind of there's something within this man that just. Like it doesn't want to, be, he doesn't want to be what he can be. I feel like, and so it's easier to just start and stop and have your flaws and be just like, I'm a little timid and humble thing that only goes so far. Like I just want to see him engage one time, and if it goes well, it goes well. If it doesn't, but just pour yourself out because I don't know. There was the match with Dustin. Sure. I watched him. In, I watched him on the independent scene. It all felt like it was headed. He was. One directional, and now it feels like he has always got two faces, and he's up and he's down and he's hot and he's cold and he's in and he's out. I just don't know how much of that is just supposed to be gimmick or how much is life or how much is something within him. But my God, like Daniel Bryan needs to get the switch out if Dusty Rose isn't going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to me, this is very much like a 2021 thing with Cody because I think if you look at his 2019, his 2020, he's probably doing about what you wanted to see him do, um, you know, he really pulled it out in a lot of the matches and the feuds he had there with MJF. He was great with Brody Lee. He was great. 
Um, again and again with Darby Allen, he was great. He was doing all this stuff, and then somehow, I don't know, maybe like you said, uh, he's getting attracted to the other things. Like he's being on like game shows. He's making his reality show. He's getting in this weird feud with with Shaquille O'Neal, and it definitely feels like maybe his mind is elsewhere in 2021. So yeah, I'd love to see him get back on track because I think at his best he can be as good as anybody, and he does it in a style that I really like. But uh, in 2021, yeah, it's just not been what I've been looking for. Yeah, there's there's something in Cody Rhodes that if it's executed correctly, it can like the word that we said transcendent. Like he could have transcendent moments, and yeah, you, you got to put a different tape on someone. You know, like <laughs> if I never thought he could be, I would be like, go do your reality shows and like do your half half whatever you're doing here. But right. God, there's so much more than that. Yeah, he's definitely uh, below potential right now. So, yeah, I don't know. What I love is the heel turn, the refocus, just, like, bring this man to what he can be, to what we know he can be, to what he's been before and is not now. So that's what I'm looking for. We'll see what happens. I'm, in, I'm interested in how uh, Malachi Black uh, navigates the whole AEW because then we got Bray Wyatt, who's probably on his way so yeah, there's so many different personalities <laughs> and interesting ones and like how they're going to move about and who they're going to move about with is, is, is a great curiosity. Yeah. I say the guy, Tommy end who does Malachi black. I've never really been the biggest fan of, but I have liked their presentation of him a lot. I like the entrance. I kind of like the vibe he gives out now. And uh, I don't think he'll be a favorite guy, but I think he's doing well. And as for Bray Wyatt, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to see him. Like, the kind of stuff he does, I feel like it doesn't fit AEW well. He may come in and do something totally different and prove me wrong, but, like, I kind of hope that's not the case. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I get it. And Malachi Black's the same way. Like, I feel like the the, the presentation is really over. Yeah. I don't know what so I don't know if there's meat on the bones or not, and that's kind of what I meant by yeah. post Cody. Like, is for I am a human being who needs more than like a scary or interesting or intriguing intro. And also, I like some of his wrestling, but like I need to see the fleshed out person before I can make a judgment on him. Yeah, jury's out on him for me as well. I'll say it's gotten better than I expected because all my previous experiences with Tommy N is this guy who. Um, really has no personality and in my opinion does not have like a strong vibe and like he can act spooky, but like, it's not like there's really nothing there. So I think if nothing else, they've presented him better. And if they can kind of parlay that into more, that's great because I think you could see the potential there, especially with the way they presented him so far. But, uh, I'm a little hesitant just cause uh, of my past experiences. So we'll see how he does. Yeah, I will see. Cause he, he doesn't give me energy. He almost removes energy. So it's like, you know, he's got like, I, I want to see more. I think I want to see Cody take himself seriously. Like to me, that's that even the jacket, or the color, the outfit that he wore and that neck tattoo. It's like you taking somebody who has something from birth. Like, I don't know if he takes it for granted or like I said, he just favors other things. But it's like. How many bad ways can I cover up something that's already good? <laughs> oh, man. I almost – part of me wonders if there's some intention already to parlay this into a, a heel turn because, to me, the the entrance outfit 
was like goofy. It was like way too yes. much, too over the top, like designed to be annoying. And then Brandy, I mean, they've got to know that Brandy is not really very popular. I know uh, I don't really mind her, but some fans really dislike her. So to put this stuff front and center, I don't know. Like part of me wonders if they were kind of expecting uh, the negative reaction and they're going to play off it. So I don't know if maybe that's too, too much, but uh, the idea occurred to me at least. It might be because I expected that he would be booed, especially in New York, but I don't know why he was really popular at the beginning and then, like, she jumped in and did Malachi's Blacks, like, sit down with him and then kind of gave him the finger and, like, the whole crowd just booed her because, like, stop stepping on things with your stupid self. But, you know, then they were against Cody the rest of the time and then they were for him. Mm. I was more surprised that they were for Cody at the beginning, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I, I don't know. Um, they turned on it. They were pretty quick to turn on him, so I think they were ready to do it. So Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. We'll see what happens in the future, folks. This is not an AEW show, so you know, sometimes I think we're off the air when we're doing all this, so I have no idea what people are going to think. But <laughs> you know. Some fun bonus comments for you if, you, uh, if you're a fan of this type of stuff. So. Yeah, watch, watch, that, watch that matchup, though. Watch uh, Danielson versus Omega. Oh, yeah, definitely watch that. And um, I'll just say, man, I Sting's run in AEW has been really shocking to me. And I think I said that before, but just like I've never been that big on Sting. Like we talked about, he kind of actually got a little better maybe in like the 2000s, the 2010s. Um, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to commit to that too hard. But I definitely thought he was coming in just to be like this hokey, like, broken neck, can't do anything, like, just there to stand around guy. And, man, like, the stuff he can do, I don't know. Sting might be on one of his best runs, certainly his best runs of, like, the past, uh, God, 30 years maybe. So that's about all his career. I like him. I think TNA he was doing at times, too. Yeah. It's, he's more serious. Like, it's not all just – it's still Sting underneath it all. But, like, right. I think the – the the age and what's asked of him makes him act like a human being once in a while, which is good to see. Uh, shout out to FTR, they're they're awesome. Oh, so uh, good. That's my only complaint. There's no way Grandpa Sting should be tapping out FTR. I don't need to see that. That's probably my biggest complaint about the whole show. I can't handle it because, like, I haven't watched AEW. So one thing I heard is that they buried FTR ever since they got them, and then I look at their record and they're like 26 and like three or something. Yeah. And like, so how's that burying somebody? And also, I don't want all my booking to be based off what's behind the scenes because, like, that doesn't do it for me. But AEW does reveal, like, pull the curtain, and I just have to feel like there's nothing FTR would have wanted to do more than put Sting over. <laughs> I mean, that's fair, and I definitely don't agree with the idea that they've been buried. But uh, still, I mean. Like, just let Darby get the pin, at least. I don't know. Like, what does Sting benefit out of this? I don't know. It's just like a little feel-good moment, I guess. It irked me, but didn't, like, ruin it for me. So, you know. I'd rather see them put Sting over than put over the Young Bucks, so. <laughs> well, there is that. Man, I'm not even going to get into that. I'll just say I did not enjoy that match like others did, and uh, it was not for me. So, I'll just put that away. Yeah, I, I will say this. Like, I come into this thinking the same about Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and so far, Kenny Omega is, outpa- is outpacing the Young Bucks in my few weeks watching again. 
Well, I don't know if you would have said that if you hadn't caught that Danielson match, but um Yeah. I think none of them really. Like I just I wish they weren't so popular. I almost wish somehow <laughs> AEW would get so popular that eventually Tony Khan would move on from some of them and things would just keep going. But the fans <laughs> I mean, love I think them. That will happen like in AEW. time, but uh probably not uh anytime too soon. So it's such a beast of a thing when it gets together. I think Adam Cole being so popular and the fans now cheer all of them. Like I do not want to hear Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks being cheered when they're booked the way that they're booked because they're booked to be the worst kind of heels that are just like privileged and devious and all these other things. And then all of a sudden, let's end the show with a celebration about all of us being victorious. And like, I don't want to be a part of your celebration. <laughs> uh, I would say at least they are good about not necessarily doing that. Like, whether the fans cheer them or not, they still kind of, like, tend to get their comeuppance. Like, they don't yes. just get to stand around and, like, act like baby faces when they're not. So I, I do appreciate that consistency, at least. Can they be booked somewhere, like, in the in the country so that Daniel Bryan can, at the beginning of the show, make them go all, all go outside and pick their own switch, and throughout the night we just see them all get their whippings from Daniel <laughs> Bryan? I, I don't know if I need to see that quite so literally, but... Uh, I, I am looking forward to that feud continuing. Uh, Danielson and the Elite, I think he will bring the best out of them. So it'll be good stuff. It's the best thing that they have ever done is like getting Brian, Daniel Danielson and CM Punk and them being so different. Yeah. And so like, I don't know where CM Punk's going because he did say in his promo that you know he might not always be so nice. So I don't know if we're going to see a switch up at some point. But at least right now, I feel like they are getting there's almost like zero percent overlap, so I do not understand any conversation about like oh well they got both of them at the same time and it's taking away like they're in two different worlds and two different planes right now in the same company. I think it came from like Brian Cage's wife or somebody, uh, Melissa Santos, ah. of course, and we know from Lucha Underground. Like that's just one place I see. Like she went on Twitter, and she's like, oh, he should be pushed more. He should be in the main event. I really like Brian Cage. I think that's maybe pushing it a little too far. But uh, definitely the talking point was like more people may start to say this as they bring in people. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't lend a lot of credence to that. I guess I understand where it's coming from. But uh, that's just the talking point out there. I thought that was a very bad look and not good for Brian Cage or anybody. No, it was a little disappointing. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But I'm willing to critique anything because I had, you know, but. It's just have a have a fucking brain in your head about <laughs> like everybody that comes in is not like not one person who comes in is like anyone else who comes in. Like either it works or it doesn't work. Like Bray Wyatt will work or not work on his own accord. He has nothing to do with CM Punk. You know, like if they come in and they get a better reaction and they're doing better than other people, then they deserve to be there. If they are a bag of bones and they're not really in the company and they win the world title, then maybe they shouldn't be. But you know. You have to take things on a case-by-case. Case. I don't think we do case-by-case case anymore. So, of course, either it's good or it's bad for AEW and the wrestling world and the history of the things in the world. And nah, They couldn't be doing any better with what they got right now. I think so, yeah. So uh, I definitely take your point. There's a lot of generalization, a lot of sweeping statements out there that really uh, do not take into account any nuance as they ought to. So uh, I'm definitely on board with that, both in wrestling and in uh, much of life, actually. 
we are never minding the fact that probably six months or a year from now, hopefully, all of this is going to be good. And then all of a sudden, CM Punk's going to look across the room and see Daniel Bryanson, and they're going to CM Punk maybe is going to be misbehaving by then. And you know what? You know what? Uh, oh, Danielson's going to tell him to go to go go outside and get a switch, and we're going to get that matchup on top of all these other matchups. That match is going to be God. I don't, I don't get the critiques right now because this is what wrestling used to feel like too. That you know people get mad like, oh yeah, wrestling was always better. But no, that's no. There were times though that you could look ahead and see twelve different pairings that you would gladly give your money to, and that's what we got right now in front of us is like an endless amount of pairings if it's done right that could like occupy at least a year of wrestling Absolutely. or more. Yeah, I mean here we are. On September 26th, recording this show, it's probably going to air uh, early November. Even by then, like, so many things could have changed, and we could be on to something very fresh and very exciting. So, uh, you know, and that's we're on something fresh and exciting now. So, like, there's just a lot to look forward to right now. So, yeah, take it step by step, day by day, and uh, I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff going on. Okay, I think that's about what I got, but I'm glad you brought it up because I need to watch. I'm gonna watch Punk versus Hobbs later today. I I think that was very fun. I think uh, the show has some weaknesses that Dynamite did it, but that's fun. They got uh, Kingston and Moxley against Suzuki and uh, Archer, and that's uh, gonna be some chaotic fun. Like there'll be some good stuff going on. Yeah, even uh, I I know like you said, Benjamin Button is not into the stuff as much, but he mm-hmm. he said Punk and uh, Hobbs was one of his one of the best matches he's seen AEW do, so he liked that one. Hey, that's beautiful, man. I, I totally get where Button is coming from, uh, at least some of the time I do. <laughs> but uh, whenever he can find something he likes, you know, he's always very sincere about it. I, I, I really appreciate that. So I like that match a lot, Punk versus Hobbs. You're going to have to let me know what you think of it as well. Yeah, you got to let people like what they like and not like. That's what this whole Legacy series has been about for what, mm-hmm. however many years we've been doing it. And, <laughs> you know... I'm very sincere about that. One thing I always try to say is like next week, next week's probably going to be a big praise for Bret Hart week for me. And I got a lot of things to not praise him about. And, you know, it can be okay to have both of them. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, next week we will have King of the Ring. We'll have a very big night for Bret Hart. as uh, He will go three matches deep and have uh, maybe one of the better nights of his career. I'm not sure. But um, we're going to have Shawn Michaels taking on Crush. That'll be an interesting, oh uh, yeah, connection there. Um, we're going to have uh, eight-man tag, the Steiners and the Guns against Money, Inc. and the, the Head Shrinkers. That'll be interesting as well. So we got a lot going on in this show. I think uh, it's going to be some interesting stuff here. I did not know those extra matches. They're very curious. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. Oh, man. Crush. Crush and Tatanka. Tatanka and Crush. <laughs> I, I will just say... I would take Crush about ten times over Tatanka. It's not that I like Crush that much, but Tatanka's on like a, a lower tier to me, man. Yeah, but I'm interested to see if Hulk Hogan can lift like one leg of Yokozuna. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, can he lift his own leg with no yeah. muscles left on it? So, <laughs> God, I don't want to see him. Uh, Doko <laughs> Hogan. Okay, we'll get to it next week, folks. King of the Ring, one of the most curious events because like we said it is destroying this uh 
for pay-per-view a year model, and we will never go back. So it's historical on its face, plus Bret Hart, plus Hulk Hogan, Yokozuna, plus so much more. I am looking forward to seeing what I think of this pay-per-view, which I probably have not watched since the 1990s. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. When does In Your House start? Like end of 94, somewhere around there, I think? Oh, man, maybe 95, but your guess is probably as good as mine. Okay. I see Todd Pettingill in my head. I see maybe <laughs> Diesel or Shawn Michaels, you know, so 94 is still Bret Hart's. It could be, who knows, but... You know, it'll get here. We'll get some gloves. Kids will be like pumping their fist in in diesel gloves. It's a it's a whole different thing. <laughs> How wild is that? We are um, not much more than a year away from Diesel being world champion, and he has yet to even appear on WWF programming. It's not wild because um, he will be as deserving of that push when he gets it as he is at this moment in WWF that we're covering. <laughs> said oh my goodness it's a fact i think the fans cheered him one time when he was chasing Shawn michaels away or something they're like my god we got ourselves a world champion yeah it'll get a nice reaction in the the rumble i think when he throws out a bunch of guys in 94 and that's that's it i guess that's all you need so you mean when when the tall guy in 94 is eliminating seven people at a time the fans cheer for it yeah go figure that's give him a world title Uh, too bad El Gigante didn't do that. That would have been the key. Yeah, from outside the ring. Yeah, from the locker room. <sighs> what happens if El Gigante came in number 30 and there's four people left and from the outside he picks them all up and puts them on the floor? Has he won it or is there no winner or is the last one? Because, like, I don't know. I guess I he think, has to get in the ring and then he's I think he's he also has to stretch out one foot and put it in the ring yeah. and then, <laughs> then he'll win. <laughs> what a rock star. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. All right. I think that's all we got for this week, unless you got anything more. No, nah, that's it. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, uh, LPForums.com. Of course, we have a wonderful thread talking about this show, as well as a lot of other great uh, threads and pieces of conversation. Hope you will check that out. Um also, WrestlingHeadlines.com for even more written material and all the other programs on our podcast network. That is all we've got. We'll be back next week with King of the Ring 1993. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature
I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is, an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature